This is episode 44 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me on the show tonight is a good friend of mine, Kirby Lupel. Kirby, how's it going tonight, man? It's going good, Eric. Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast, episode number 44. We talked about it for a while, and I said, you know, Eric, I'd like to be on your podcast when uh, episode 44 hits, because that's my favorite number. So, I know a lot of your guests talk about, you know, their favorite Oilers and the jersey number that they wear for the episodes. So I did a little research on number 44 and I found out over 200 NHL players have worn number 44. And I found out something for your Edmonton Oilers fans. Jason Arnett, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he never wore number 44 with the Oilers, but he wore number 44 with with multiple other NHL teams. So I thought that was kind of a little fun fact. And there's a lot of popular uh, players inside the Pacific Division over time that have worn that number 44 famously. So um, there's a guy close to my heart that we'll talk about maybe possibly later that wore number 44. So yeah, um, just kind of honored to be on this episode with you. I know we wanted to maybe have an episode before this with the Olympics, but unfortunately that was uh, canceled. So I'm glad to be here tonight with you on episode 44. Yeah, you're you're always welcome, man. And uh, you're right, 44 is kind of a often used number especially in the last 20 years with the Edmonton Oilers uh when I was a kid Yanni Ninema wore it Mm -hmm. and then of course uh Chris Pronger famously uh wore it during his one year with the Oilers in 2005-2006 followed by Sheldon Surrey for about three Mm -hmm. years and uh, now Zach Cassian obviously wears it so yeah it's been a number that's been very common and number four was uh a number that I wore quite a bit growing up too so we have that connection I tried to wear 44 a lot in my baseball ventures and basketball, but there wasn't always that accessibility to the number 44. Mm-hmm. And I noticed going through a lot of my research too, a lot of NHL defensemen would later wear that number, unlike Pronger, who wore it in the prime of his career. A lot of uh, NHL defensemen would wear that kind of at the latter stages of their career. So it was kind of interesting looking that up uh, tonight here. Huh, yeah, I wouldn't have known that, that it was uh, that frequent of a number throughout the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 more popular and prevalent than when you you know you like a number you notice it on different guys even if they're not wearing your jersey your team's jersey or uniform right so yeah and maybe there's still some Bobby Orr influence that was passed down to those you know kids and, and from their dads and they kind of doubled it up over the year you you, ne- you never know how that kind of started right yeah correct yeah my dad that was his favorite guy growing up Bobby Orr so. For sure. And I also wanted to say, you know, I feel like our friendship has come full circle because uh, we met at Mount Royal University in 2010 when I asked you to be a guest on the online sports radio show I was hosting at the time called The Cougar's Den. And here we are almost 12 years later, and now you're finally a guest on my podcast. Yeah, lots of uh, (laughs) pre-production talks and different projects that we have worked on that we haven't yet worked on. Um, It was great to be on there. It was good. Like good exposure, especially when I was starting university to get my feet wet because I hadn't done any like basketball games or volleyball games or hockey games. So you kind of like helping produce, direct that and, you know, kind of getting guests line up and everything like that. That was awesome. And um, I know it's something that you always remembered. I had a side story that I always remembered. I I know you pulled me aside. I think it was after you um, had me on the Cougars, Dan, and then we started to get to know each other a little bit more. And you pulled me to the side. It was near the end of the NHL season at the time and the entry draft was coming up. And both of our teams that we're going to, you know, talk about here in a little bit, you know, weren't having that uh, great of a season. And you were like, well, you know, Kirby, I want to pull you over here and show you how the entry draft is looking. And um, you're like, well, our team's going to get first overall pick. So we're going to get Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But there's a lot, bunch of other guys available in this draft. 
and one of these guys might fall to you, Kirby, and uh, I think you're going to get a good player out of this. And I was like, wow, this is when I realized uh, Eric knew what he was talking about when it came to NHL prospects, and it's something that I've always taken a liking to, but you were even further ahead of me at the time. And one of the things that really drew me to you in that moment was your neat penmanship. I'd always have been complimented <laughs> on my penmanship. I actually, people joke, they like think I write Braille because you can like feel through the other side of the paper and someone could like, they're like, do you write Braille or, you know, do you do calligraphy? <laughs> like you write so neat, right? And and I've always been complimented by um, girls, boys, uh, teachers. And when I saw your penmanship, I was like, man, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about, and like I respect that penmanship. So that's something that always stuck with me. I don't know if you kept that piece of paper from that entry draft, but uh, yeah, it was really striking, and you you put a lot of work into it and a lot of thought into it, and and that's what I that's what I noticed when I listened to your podcast and you having your guests on. I I know how much work and dedication you put into this. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm pretty sure I don't have that piece of paper still, but I do kind of remember you saying that now, and I. I always had really neat writing from an early age. So, uh, yeah, I guess it was kind of uh, str strange to get a compliment on it because I, I probably hadn't had someone pointed out to me since I was in elementary school or, or something like that. So, yeah, that, it's kind of funny that you bring that up now. Yeah, I, it's something I always did because I, you know, I did well in English. I didn't know what the heck I was doing in math. <laughs> but, yeah, I always got complimented and um you know, I might be a little bit more of an old school hockey fan, older guy, <laughs> but um, we had to do handwriting and printing and all those things. And I even broke my wrist in grade three and I had to learn to write with my other hand. So oh, wow. I always took an emphasis. Yeah. And, I, and there was no getting out of it at the time. And we were learning, I believe, handwriting that year. So um, it was a very challenging year, but I, I put myself forth with it and I took a lot of pride in it. And, and I know you and I, we've kept a lot of our notes through the years on on different hockey things and, st and such like that. So we still like to to write pen to paper. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm still, uh, I mean, I, I type out most of the stuff, but I will still yeah. always keep a notepad and uh, a pen to take notes as I think of them. Um, but, you know, I should also mention you are calling in from behind enemy lines in Calgary. That's where we did meet at university. But, you know, don't worry, everyone. He's not a Flames fan. Uh, however, you are the first fan of a team other than the Oilers that's uh, been on the podcast. And they've been among the best teams in the league all season. Yeah, this is... Uh... Quite an exciting season for me, and I wouldn't even just say season. The last two, three-year journey with my club, it's the Florida Panthers. Um, growing up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, born and raised here, I would get often mocked. They're like, who do you cheer for, Kirby? And I'd say the Florida Panthers. They're like, you cheer for those guys? And, you know, like that would be the first, you know, conversation I would have with an acquaintance or a stranger, and it would just kind of turn me off of you know, talking hockey with people because right away it would kind of be dismissed as like, oh, you cheer for an expansion team or you cheer for not a, you know, a good hockey club. But the last two, three years here, we've been on the upward trajectory. And this year we're breaking franchise record in points, um, um, franchise record in home wins. Uh, we have a player in the heart race. We have a player, you know, um, in our Ross. We have a player that, you know, was up for the Calder and um, he was injured and, and Aaron Ekblad. Um, we've got better goaltending this year. You know, our coach might be up for coach of the year. Or our GM might be up for GM of the year. So it's just been a it's been a very remarkable year speaking, Eric, like individually and team wise. And it's it's a perfect season for a fan to have those two things kind of marriage and marry together. And I know you're a big fan of like exciting hockey like you grew up, you know, idolizing the 80s Oilers and 
the Panthers right now are, I, I think they're around seventh all time in most goals in a season. I think they just tied Bobby Orr's Boston Bruins 1970-71 team. So this is the type of hockey and brand that I know you and I always talk about. And um, that's very exciting for you. And and all the numbers are up, which we're going to talk about on this podcast across the board, across the league. But um, my team in particular, just first in this, second in this. And um advanced stats, old school stats, everything across the board. And it's just been a really exciting year. But our fan base, we only care this year what's happening um, in the come playoff time because, you know, we had a heartbreak first round series last year loss. And and, and our, our market right now, just like a lot of markets across the league, it's what are you going to do in the playoffs? So we're excited, but it's tempered enthusiasm and almost like you know, things have gone bad in the past for us. You know, we've lost overtime games in game six, overtime games, you know, in game seven. So, you know, we have to get through this first round and see where that takes us from here. Yeah, I mean, it's all comes down to this now. I mean, we've got through the 82 games just about. There's just a couple games left for most teams. And now it's the it's the time to prove it when it's the most important time of the year. Once you're in the tournament, everyone's got a chance and uh, it kind of, you kind of throw the standings from the regular season out, but obviously with where your team is positioned there uh, on a, in a good spot to at least, you know, go on a good run. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, growing up in Saskatoon, there were so many different uh, teams that people cheered for because we don't have an NHL team in the city, but growing up in Calgary, do you think that, that contributed to uh, some of the backlash you got from not, cheering for the home team because there there was a, an NHL team in your city and you chose to go with someone else? Well, I was on a preseason podcast this year um, down in Miami, Florida, uh, a guy hosting down there by the name of Armando. And he asked me that same similar question, Eric. And at the time when I was growing up, I wasn't growing up as a child when the Flames were going through their heydays. I, wanted, I would say in the mid 80s, late 80s when they won the Stanley Cup. So I grew up in like the mid 90s. That's the area, that's the area that I era that I can really remember and reminisce on and there was a lot of there was a lot of kids around me that cheered for the Detroit Red Wings Philadelphia Flyers Pittsburgh Penguins Colorado Avalanche so Edmonton Oilers obviously there was Calgary Flames fans scattered in that but I noticed a lot of the Calgary Flames fans in my home local market they were older so it wasn't all these kids that I was growing up with or kids that were two years older than me or two years younger than me so and I was always one that you know, you know me as a friend. I'm a bit of a contrarian. I go against the grain. I like to make my own statement. <laughs> um, my family also raised me like, you know, in everything in life, but including in sport to make your own decisions and, you know, don't let other people dictate things for you. What do you like? You know, uh, my brother uh, gravitated towards the Anaheim Mighty Ducks from the Mighty Ducks movies. And I know you're mm-hmm. a big fan of those movies. And, you know, those two teams came in at the same time. And, you know, Ottawa, Tampa Bay came in, San Jose came in. We got little mini sticks of them, but that was just a team that resonated with me a little bit, a little bit more. Um, whether it be uh, the goaltender at the time, he had a cool mask. Um, the coach, he was known as like Video Roger Video. He was kind of cool at the time. And all the players that came into the league, and then obviously we're going to talk about it in a, here in a little bit, um, yeah. you know, uh, what, what really sticks with me when it comes to the Florida Panthers and why I became a fan of them. Yeah, and I think that's a good time to just transition there uh, right now. I wanted to know just specifically, how did you first get interested in hockey and, you know, you did kind of explain there about when you picked them when they came into the league. But uh, when you made that decision, like, how did that uh, how did that happen? Yeah, like, so I talked to a lot of fans 
um, on social media. And, you know, they became Florida Panther fans in 1996 when they went on their Miracle Stanley Cup run. But, you know, I kind of was on from day one, but we didn't get a lot of coverage then. So I had to read newspapers. I'd see the odd game maybe once a month on, on CBC or, you know, local television here if they were playing like the local team. But it just kind of, I don't know, just like it's hard to say. It kind of happened organically. But what sticks with me the most as a viewer on television was the 1996 Miracle Stanley Cup run. And I know you asked me off air when we were talking earlier, Eric, what like what Pacific game or or moment. It's They're kind of all in, in, entranced together. But definitely the second round when the Florida Panthers played the Philadelphia Flyers. I was not a Philadelphia Flyer fan. I was not an Eric Lindros fan. Um, Ron Hextel was easy to hate. And Philadelphia, everyone gave them the series before it even started. My dad, being an old school, original six fan, you know, teams that came into the league in the 70s, he's like, your team doesn't have a chance. You know, and I'm in grade seven at this time. <laughs> and my dad's like drawing pictures on the on the sports section of the newspaper and like, you know, kind of mocking the Panthers and all this. And he's like, you guys don't have a chance. And it just like, it was just, it, I felt like in my own household, it was us against the world or my own friend circles, it was us against the world. And uh, that's kind of how it kind of transpired. And they just, you know, Ed Jovanovsky just played a great series as a young rookie. And um, he, you know, was physical in that series. And John Van Beesbrook was clutch goaltending. And it was just a bunch of muckers and grinders, blue collar guys that came to work every day. Captain of the team, Brian Scrudlin, as you know, and you can tell a little bit of your audience that story there. And um, yeah, it's just something unbelievable story. And I know you're going to ask me maybe a little bit about players that I liked and different things like that that we can kind of get into. But yeah, mm-hmm. that that just resonates with me and sticks with me when I watched as a young child on television. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I only met Brian Scrudlin, I think, one or two times when I was, oh, about 10, 11 years old, because his uh, his parents actually lived just down the block from where my parents lived. So I remember there was the one summer... It might have been 1999. Uh, he was over and they were having a barbecue. We got invited to it. And, you know, we just kind of got to meet him. And he signed a, a jersey that we ended up using for our minor hockey teams, uh, an auction to try and raise money to go on a couple more tournaments. So, yeah, it was a, it was kind of cool just kind of being around an NHL player as a young kid. And, you know, he was... Uh, teammates with uh Gretzky in, in New York so there was that uh a little bit of mm-hmm. extra intrigue for me and there's a um, lot of history that's Montreal and Florida and Dallas like he wore letters for these teams right so you don't realize it till you get a blow and you're like that's pretty cool how many people are captains of an NHL team right so yeah and of course he was a Saskatoon Blades legend too so I remember the night they retired his number I think it was in 2003 we uh we went to his jersey retirement so uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was just a kind of cool, like I said, as a kid to, to be around. And I know you had that player. tie in as friends and everything like that. So kind of just threw that yeah. out there. Yeah. And do you remember, uh, the first Panthers game you ever went to? Yeah. Like, um, the first one I ever went to, I had to kind of look this up cause Eric's like, I know you're really good at remembering dates and everything like that. But I think the first one I ever went to, cause I keep a scrapbook of all my memories and some of my, uh, pan- local Panther fans on Twitter or sorry, my, my Twitter falls on, on, on Twitter. They want to kind of see, uh, some of my scrapbook memories and things like that. So the first game I ever went to was in January 6, 1996. It wasn't that memorable of a game. The Calgary Flames won two, nothing, but I looked it up and I had pretty good seats. I was in the second level, the ticket price at the time. Any guesses on that, Eric? Uh, let's say 
1996. Say 35 bucks. Oh, that's a pretty good guess. $28. Okay. On the second level. You know, that's a good seat. I know you've been to the Dome once or twice. So, yeah, it wasn't like a really memorable moment on that one. But I, I did have a memorable story or two of being in attendance. The one game that I was in attendance for it was a couple years later in 1998. And I just remember back to it because, and I looked it back, and I sent you the clip. I sent you the little um, uh, press clip, the quote clip earlier tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a talk And he was reminiscing about it about 10 years later. So I actually cut it out of the newspaper and like, 2003 or 2004 and put it in my scrapbook into 1998 and uh there was a streaker that jumped on the ice in overtime (laughs) and i remember i think kurt muller was on the team at the time and dave gagne which has some ties obviously to the oilers past um with his son playing for the edmonton oilers and sam gagne and who's still playing in the nhl right now with the detroit red wings and i remember them just having a giggle fest in the penalty box i think the game kind of and this is when um nhl could end in ties and the game ended three three tie but i remember it being like a 10 15 minute delay and Joe mcginla was quoted as saying this guy ran around with just a whistle on and uh he was running <laughs> around the rink he got one full lap or one and a half full laps and you don't often see that with streakers or people that jump on onto fields or ice surfaces so me and my friend we were like i don't know like 14 or 15 years old or something at the time and and uh we're sitting in the wheelchair section because um he has muscular dystrophy and he's actually an edmonton oiler fan so he was coming there just to support me that night in my class and cheer against the flames right so he was like oh my goodness and his laugh yeah well that exactly right (laughs) and being on this podcast not planned at all and uh he was laughing so hard, I couldn't I couldn't stop laughing. You know when someone else is laughing and then yeah. they laugh and you're looking at their face and we didn't want to look, you know, we're like, what the heck is this, right? You know, we're just like teenage boys, right? And uh, that was something that was very memorable that stuck with me as a, as a memory. And I think they had a, a lot, they had a little bit better uh, showing that night. And then in 2001 was my 18th birthday and I got to sit second row and I got to see one of my favorite players ever to wear a Panthers uniform. Uh, Jersey Pavel Bury and that was in 2001 they lost the game three to one he didn't have that great a game but I do remember um Trevor Kidd being a net for Florida and that was a cool side story because he he was drafted by the Flames and played for the Flames for many years and he came back and there's a bit of a buzz in the arena with him being there and, and fans getting to see him in a different uniform and then um seeing Peter Worrell he's a big enforcer that used to be in the league and and played for the Panthers and I remember wearing a Panthers jersey and he and he stared at me and he kept staring at me it was like he was staring a hole through me and I was like it was such a scary moment I was like I'm wearing the same team colors that you are right but then later you learn about the enforcers in in hockey Eric and what they have to do to gear themselves up to play a game and he probably knew that night that he might have had to drop the gloves and I can't remember now if he did or not but just how those type of players back in the day those enforcers had to really gear themselves up I know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of good documentaries out there I think the one's called Ice Guardians Ice Guardians yeah yeah and they talk about how they have to gear and amp themselves up for a fight. So that was like memories that stick with me. I know with you, sometimes it's a goal or more, but it's different things in the arena that happen with me or different connections to one team to another. And I remember those, those couple of memories because Pavel Burry did not have his best game that night, but um, that Peter Worrell moment and then Trevor Kidd being back in the building that he spent a lot of years in. So it's cool just to go to games. I enjoy going to games, even if my team's not playing. I know I've yeah. been to game with you with the Oilers and Flames. It's just neat being in the, in the rink when, you know, there's moments that happen and it's nothing like being live right so right and i mean i've been to the saddle dome i think 10 times now uh i've seen well the the game where leon dreisaitl scored his 50th goal and unfortunately Connor mcdavid was injured yeah, that that's the game that, we were at together yeah april 6th 2019 and 
aside from that, I've been to an old timers game there with a, a friend of mine in 2011. And I went to Monday Night Raw in 2010 when I first started at MRU in Calgary. And other I worked than that, on Monday night, I worked a Monday Night Raw show. And yeah, I, I think you were telling me that. that. We'll have to talk about that another time. But uh, we'll say a lot of memories time. to share from that. I know you have some wrestling crossover fans. So yeah, and then of course my uh, my uncle Gary, who recently passed away. You know, he was, you know, my closest family member in Calgary, and the one who, you know, I always did everything with when I was there. And, you know, he took me to a lot of junior hockey games when I was going to university there. And even in years after when I was back living in Saskatoon, I would still fly out to Calgary uh, at least once a year to visit him and, and usually go to a game. So yeah, it's uh, a lot of, a lot of memories uh, with him in Calgary. And also uh, I've been, like I said, as much as I, as much as I don't like the flames, I've, I've been to the dome uh, a decent amount of times and had some good memories there. Yeah, and I respect you as an opponent to come into the rink, and I've told you that as a friend. You know, I've always been in rinks as the opposing fan, so I'm very used to that. The only time I've ever as a home fan is like a junior hockey game, and I know you've been here for a Calgary Hitman game with me, and that's been nice to hang out with you um, just to watch those yeah. games where it's just low stress. You're not cheering for a certain team, and that's why I even like to go to Flames games that don't involve the Panthers because I get to see you know different stars around the league, like whether it be Connor McDavid. I've seen Alex Ovechkin now, and there's stars you know from the past that I've missed. I grew up being kind of like a Penguins fan is my first memories, and my one regret is never seeing Mario Lemieux live. And I had an opportunity one time with my dad, but as a kid, I was like. And eh, we'll go next time or whatever. But sometimes next time never comes, right? So right. I never got, you know, never got to see him live. But I eventually got to see Yarmer Yager live. And I grew up being a big fan of his. And I was a fan of Kevin Stevens. And they all played together. It was nice to see Yarmer Yager, um, watch him from afar as a fan at the beginning of his career. And then bookend at the very end of his career. And get to see him live in a Florida Panther uniform uh, jersey. And that was really neat to to kind of experience. So I enjoy just, you know, seeing stars from around the league and and remembering those moments and such. Yeah, that must have been kind of cool to see this uh, player that you idolized when you were younger eventually make his way over to your team. I guess the closest thing that I could uh, connect to that would be in the NFL seeing Peyton Manning, who was my favorite player, but the Denver Broncos are my favorite team. And then to see him eventually make his way over there was awesome. And uh, just to go back to the Saddle Dome for a second, I always tried to plan it so I would visit Calgary whenever the Saskatoon Blades were playing there so that I could go see a, a blades game and they would come to Calgary usually two times a year, maybe three times a year at most. So there, there'd always be opportunities to go, uh, uh, to junior hockey games with my uncle. And, uh, like you said, you, there was a lot of penguins guys that you were big fans of in the nineties. I mean, that was when they were at their peak with, you know, the, the best duo of that era, Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. Uh, I will say though, like you, you did say eventually, you know, you became a full-time Florida Panthers fan who were some of your favorite Panthers players growing up yeah like that list it, it, it's a great question Eric because like people ask me well who are my all-time favorite players or who are your favorite players growing up growing right. up it's a little easier to answer but to say like who are my current top five all-time it's so hard because you know with Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau and recently <sighs> retired Roberto Luongo that list is so hard and it's so expansive and it's ever evolving right now. So it's such a difficult list. And I know you, you might uh, have something to tell your audience later that you got me to do on Twitter a, a couple years back by doing an all time roster list. And that was really challenging. Oh, yeah. And I know if I did another one, it would change, but my favorite player growing up all time was like John Van Beesbrook. And I was like, well, this may, this might never be topped because of what he did in the regular season playoffs, 
He was just memorable with the goalie mask he wore. But then along comes Roberto Luongo. Thank you, Mike Milbury, for for gifting him and Uli Jokin into us. <laughs> um, it's one of the trades that had worked in our favor. There's some that haven't. But um, definitely Roberto Luongo would be in my top five all time. And then there's a current couple Panthers right now and Barkoff and Huberto that would be there. I have a soft spot for Scott Mellenby because um, if, if your audience doesn't know, they should Google it, like the history of the rat, the rat trick. And it actually was a night, I believe, against the Calgary Flames where he scored two goals and then he killed a rat in the dressing room. And that was called, I think John Van Beesbrook was the one that officially dubbed it the rat trick. And then that season, it led them on to their Miracle Stanley Cup run. So I always like to have a little bit of the older players and a little bit of the current players mixed into my top list. There's been some players that have been really solid for us, but for one reason or another, you know, we're shortened by injuries like a David Booth or Ed Jovanovsky that was unfortunately had to be dealt, but we got Pavel Bury, but had to be dealt in that trade. Um, we had to unfortunately deal Jakob Markstrom, but we got Luongo back. So there was a lot of players that I enjoyed, but they had to be moved in trades. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting, like case study. And then there's just some players that just, you know, weren't in the right spot at the right time, like Ole Jokinen or Steven Weiss or Nathan Horton. And they just didn't play into Jay Bowmeister at one point. These guys that just did not play on good teams. So, you know, it, it's an ever evolving list. We don't have an expanse of history like you guys with the Edmonton Oilers. So, you know, you look at the Edmonton Oilers all time records and you look at the Florida Panthers all time record. It's like apples and oranges. Right. But um, yeah. if you just look at the current era team, it's just, you know, these guys can stack up with anyone. And it's just I just want them to get more national exposure in my country, North American wide. And I think they're finally getting it this year. But you have to do that through winning. And that's what the Edmonton Oilers did in the 80s. And that's what the New York Islanders did in the 80s. And that's what the Montreal Canadiens did in the 70s. So I understand that. Right. And dynasties are so hard to accomplish. And just what especially in this era, too, especially in this era. But like what the L.A. Kings and Chicago Blackhawks have done and other teams have done. uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, you could even throw into that mix. uh, The Crosby era. If you want to call that minor dynasties, like all these teams, either one like two cups in a span of three years or uh, three cups in a span of six years or back-to-back cups. Like, I mean, I guess you could say that's the modern equivalency of a dynasty. Yeah, and and yeah, you have to change your perspectives from Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. And even, I know we're even going to delve into some players later, later, and it's just hard. It's just eye-popping when you look at, you know, Wayne Gretzky's numbers and Mario Lemieux's numbers. And then you even go a little bit further down and you see like Gordie Howe and Mike Bossy, who sadly just recently passed away, and Yarmar mm-hmm. Yager. It's just hard, and, and you could throw in another Oiler, Mark Messier and different players, you know. That guy's like the ultimate of like, uh, individual success and team success, you know, so yeah. um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating sport. It's always changing. It's hard to compare errors. We try to compare errors. I'm, I'm partial to goalies. So like, again, two goalies are on my list. That might not be on Eric's list, even though you've had some good goalies like Bill Ranford and Curtis Joseph um, play for your organization, Grant Fear. I know you're a big Grant Fear fan, but um, mm-hmm. I'm really partial to the goalies. I know you're more partial to the forwards, but uh, we we end up talking about it and we learn from each other from you know different positions and different eras. And I we have a lot of interesting hockey talks that we're not recording like we are tonight. So I look forward to, you know to these podcast appearances with you. Yeah, for sure. And you know the one thing is like as great as the the dynasty was in the '80s, and as much as that is my favorite era of not only Oilers history, but hockey history, I wasn't around for it. Like, I was born in 1989, so just towards the tail end of their glory years. And the Oilers teams that I grew up with 
were the teams that were led by Doug Waite, Ryan Smith, Bill Guerin, you know, that, you know, scratched and clawed their way to get into the playoffs, usually as the eighth or seventh seed or the odd time, the sixth seed. And they would end up going against the Colorado Avalanche or the Dallas Stars in the first round every year. And obviously you're going up against a Stanley Cup contender as this team that just barely made it in. So uh, I I wasn't there for the, the years when the Oilers would just like dominate everyone and, and you know, ride to the Stanley Cup final year after year. So in, in a sense, some of our experiences of watching teams in our youth and and growing up were were the same and of course like it, yep. it seemed like my favorite players were getting traded away year after year you know it'd be first bill gare and then it was weight going then it was anson carter and just year after year you're seeing your team lose these guys and then it it seemed like it all changed in 2005 when chris pronger and mike pekka arrived and then they made some additions throughout the season to you know bolster the team for that stanley cup run but a year later ryan smith was gone so i just I got almost used to it in a sad sense that like my my favorite players weren't going to be long for the team. And now it's just, you know, we can both relate to this, that our teams now have superstar talent. And it's something that they didn't have 15 years ago when uh, the Oilers were going through the decade of darkness and the Florida Panthers were going on their long run. Obviously, our teams were tied for a while for the longest uh, yep. playoff, playoff utility in NHL history until the Buffalo Sabres passed them this year. But uh, it's... But uh, now we're looking onward and upward. We're looking, we're looking onward and upward. Playoff those, success those... <laughs> because of the players that we have and the model that you see other teams that have had success, right? Yeah. But it's going to be super difficult because I believe like there is a lot of superstars in this league and um, you look back to the mid-90s, you know, with Sackick and Iserman and all those guys, but, you know, not all those teams could... Not all those play teams could win but like you know Colorado was taking up cups and Detroit was and New Jersey yeah. was but you know Philadelphia didn't get one with Eric Lindros and you know there's just different superstars around the league you know that you know and I think right now it's it's as deep as it's ever been so it's like there's a lot of pressure on teams not only to get a deep run and get that Stanley Cup but just even to win one round because it's going to be ultra competitive this year for sure and you know you you kind of uh, touched on some stuff from 96 that uh, really stands out to you but do you have like a couple favorite moments in Panthers history that come to mind right away Well you know like that it all that run is like that's the last time we've won a playoff round was in the Eastern Conference final against the Pittsburgh Penguins so like I I am a person you know that has coached in youth sports and different things like that I look at like you know how do you finish a season? Not always how you start one, right? So right. There, there hasn't been a lot of those memories. And it's been, like I said earlier, heartbreak memories in overtime to eliminate us from the New York Islanders and John Taveras, Adam Henrique goal, New Jersey Devils, and then Seam Broder go on another cup run with that team by knocking us out on our home ice, you know, in game seven. So like a lot of the memories have been regular season and like, you know, it's it's been recent memories because of like the records, the records that these that our club is breaking right now, individual and team records. Um, to be honest, there's just not a lot to go off of. There's a guy like Roberto Luongo and how much he's dedicated and sacrificed to this organization and just, you know, so many memories of him and, you know, moving up the all time goaltender rankings list. The Yarma Yager moment, of course, you know, moving past, you know, Gordy Howe and Mark Messier, you know, on the points leaders, right? So, like, those memories, um, you know, stick with me. And, and a lot of those ones are recent memories. But, yeah, it's just, it's hard to, like, 
outside of 1996 to say this memory sticks with me like five years, 10 years later, right? It has been a franchise of futility. Like if you look to the NFL and the Detroit Lions and, you know, you look to, you know, baseball and, you know, the Detroit Tigers or maybe even more, you know, aptly the Pittsburgh Pirates. But then there's been seasons where Florida has won the division. Mm -hmm. You know, they've won it. This will be our third time winning it in 11 years. So, like, I was talking to you off air about this, Eric. It's really up and down where, you know, we've had first overall pick Aaron Ekblad and, you know, Sasha Barkoff, you know, in the top five, uh, Jonathan Huberto, third overall. But then there's been years where we've picked in the middle of the draft, at the end of the draft. So it's been a mixed bag a lot of times, but it's been frustration of either just missing the playoffs or losing in the first round of the playoffs. But this is the first time, you know, that and, you know, I think unfairly last year we had what I believe the third or fourth best record in the NHL. And we had to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. And we actually had home ice advantage and Carolina finished a point above. I believe it was a point above us. So it was really unfair to the Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers to have to kind of be in that seeding and matchup situation where we had to play, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champions. And, yeah. you know, we gave them all that we could handle, you know, to start. And it, I think that first round gave us experience that some teams you know see in two or three series right and and everyone around the league really said this was one of the best series it was one of the most physical series it was one of the most entertaining series and i think you know the leaders of the team get experience from that and you know the edmonton oiler leaders some of those guys have got experience you know from playoffs over the past few years as well so but it just gets to that point i'm like you know toronto maple leafs edmonton oilers florida panthers like these teams calgary flames these teams have to get by the first round the seasons that they're putting up and everything like that so the pressure is interesting how it plays out because you never know how it's going to play out right and it's it's very highly doubtful that you can write four or five teams on a paper and say these teams are all going to advance right so that's just what makes the stanley cup playoffs in particular the first round so 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 engaging so entertaining um you and i are big on social media so kind of to get back to your question yeah a lot of the memories are like of recent time and recent era but you know like certain things that Yarmer Yager did and Roberto Luongo did those things will always carry you know weight with the franchise and it's it's always good to reflect back on that stuff but I'm so entranced in what's going on right now and like you know focused on this let's get these last few couple games out of the way and let's get to the playoffs here we're still deciding um who we're going to play at this point of this podcast if it's going to be Washington or Pittsburgh so yeah the only there's an icon in both of those teams right so it's gonna it's gonna give Florida a lot of spotlight playing against a Novechkin or a Crosby so yeah, the only matchup that's officially locked in, I believe, is Edmonton versus L.A. And, and I uh, believe Minnesota and St. Louis, but they're fighting for home ice. Okay, they so, might have yeah. they might have uh, clinched that tonight. I think Toronto and Tampa Bay could be officially now. It's pretty like, much like we we almost know what all the matchups are going to be. There's just yep. the matter of playing out the last few games. Like I think if Tampa gets one point in their final two games, they'll end yep. up playing Toronto. So it's just yeah, and, and then Boston would be down to the wild card. And like we right. don't want to look ahead as fans, but like. You guys as Oilers fans are seeing that BOA, that Battle of Alberta, potentially in round two. We see the winner of Tampa Bay-Toronto. Either one of those is going to be juicy for us. But you can't look ahead. But as fans, sometimes you end up doing that. As players, you can't do that, obviously. But there's, like, as good as the first-round matchups can be, the second-round matchups are just, like, tantalizing, like, if if they play out in that manner, right? But, you again, you never know how the first round. You never know how it's going to go. And, you know, I just thought of this on the spot now, but... Uh, you know, I've always said if there was one Oilers player, former Oilers player that I could that I wish I could have seen win a Stanley Cup with a team, it would have been Ryan Smith. Uh, I, you know, and he was so close one game away from it in 2006. If you could have w- seen one Florida Panthers player 
win the cup, who would you have wished it would have been? Yeah, I was just going to jump in there, but I wanted to let you finish your point. I think, you know, you talked about some of our clubs mirroring each other in some aspects. Mm-hmm. I think I have a perfect example for that. It would be Roberto Luongo. And with him being in the management team right now, I know um, we've talked about, and, you know, we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, fans, especially new Panther fans, we're getting a lot of new fans from Philadelphia after the Claude Giroux trade, and we're getting a lot of fans coming on board already. They're like, Panthers are going to be my second team because my team, my team X, my team Y is not going to make the playoffs. So we're getting a lot of fans coming in from other places. So they're asking us questions. So like if we raise the cup, Barkoff would hand it off to Joe Thornton. But what would be really special for me as a lifelong Panther fan is to see when Roberto Luongo, who comes down in his suit from the press box, who's working like, you know, in our player development and mm-hmm. our, you know, our, our management staff, it would just be really special to see him hold the cup. And, and, you know, it's like he can hold the cup because he is part of the team. He's unfortunately not holding it as a member of the team, as our starting goaltender, but he is a member of the team. So that's still a member of the team. He's still a member of the team. He can touch and hold the cup. And it's going to be special for a lot of us lifers. And this is a guy that not only gave his blood, sweat and tears once for the organization, but came back a second time and, you know, dragged us in some aspects in regards to a division title and, you know, heartbreaking again, first round, you know, defeat where we thought, you know, that team could go two, three rounds. So that's, that's the guy for me. That's really special. It would also be special for the 96 team to kind of be, you know, around the current team. I don't know if that will ever happen, but there's still special nights where they still get honored to this day, that 96 team. And if they could just be around the current players, maybe on like an opening night or first week of the following season and stuff like that. And I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, (laughs) but that's, that's like to answer Uh, the question, that would be, you know, my two special things, that 96 team and then Roberto Luongo. For sure. And, you know, that also kind of makes me think of Wayne Gretzky in the Olympics because he only had the chance to play in the Winter Olympics one time when the NHL started allowing its players to go to Nagano, Japan in 1998. Obviously, Gretzky had led Canada to three different Canada Cups in 1984, 1987, and 1981. So he was the captain and best player on three different best-on-best international hockey tournaments. But he never had the chance to celebrate an Olympic gold medal as a player. However, he was the general manager of the 2002 Olympic team that won gold. So sort of similar to what you were saying about Roberto Luongo, he was there for the celebrations uh, he he was the architect of the gold medal winning team, but obviously only the athletes take home a gold medal. So as an yep. executive, he did not like, get one. Whereas Roberto like, Luongo would get a Stanley Cup ring as a as a member yeah. of the management staff. And I should also and say, I know we talked about this before, just to jump in, Eric. Like Roberto Luongo yeah. is getting some of that already with uh, Canada in the World Championship when they won the gold medal just recently, mm-hmm. right? And then he was going to be a part of. Um, the, yeah, he and Ken Holland were both going to be on the Olympic staff. I, I believe right. Roberto Luongo's job was going to be to select the goaltenders. Uh, Ken Holland was going to be the right-hand man to Doug Armstrong. So, yeah, there there was some Oilers and uh, Panthers yep. connections to Team Canada as well. So, yeah, I think he's getting that experience and he's got his, you know, his foot definitely in the door there. And I know Brian McCabe works for us and he was a former Panther. And then Gregory Campbell has come back. There's been like, there's so many, like the team is doing such a better job off the ice of like 
like bringing back guys from history, historical purposes. And I give all the credit to our owners, Vinny Viola and Doug Seafood. Like that's the main thing. That was the main turning point in our franchise of like maybe like at one point eventually being relocated to being like a real stronghold in the market. And if you saw their attendance last year in the playoffs, they had one of the most lively fan bases in the playoffs last year. And it was you know, it, it, I just give a credit to that ownership group and like Roberto Luongo is a big part of that, you know, and, and, you know, he could go off to Vancouver or he could go back to his native Montreal, but for him to stick around with Florida after his post career and like want to see this through and different things through, and, you know, through this, he might get a job promotion. I would hate to lose him, but I would understand it in the same aspect, but he's done everything he can for this organization. So yeah, it would just be awesome with that. And, you know, Joe Thornton's a guy that's played for us this year. He's only been with us this year, but I understand him like getting the cup or whatever. And he's, he's just been such a low maintenance guy. He's like, whatever you, whenever you guys need me to play, I'm there. Um, you guys have an awesome captain and Alexander Barkov. I love this team. And, you know, it's just bringing in those veteran leaderships. We have some cup experience guys with Patrick Hornquist and um, no, um, Noel Achari's had a lot of experience with the Boston Bruins. So it's just that mix of veterans and young players and guys that really like your team with the Oilers entering the primes of their careers, like in year five, right. year six, year seven, year eight. And that's where a lot of that's where our that's where our team, you know, in the Panthers and your team in the Oilers, we mirror each other, too. Right. So those are the years that, you know, if you look back at the Crosby's and you know, uh, the, uh, you know, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky's, all these players, you know, that won Stanley Cups, Steve Eiserman, that was a late bloomer kind of, but um, like all these players, you'd look back like by year five, six, seven, eight, you know, that's winning time. Right. And it's really yeah. exciting to be a part of that. I know, I know you're excited for that too. You know, not only this season, but moving forward next season and the year after. Yeah. I, I think we all, we both think that our teams are only going to go up from here. Like I, I think that this is the best team that, the Oilers have had in the McDavid era, but I don't think it will be the best team they they're ever going to have. I, I think that this they're only going to trend, continue to go up, and especially if they're able to you know keep some of the key components of their team right now. But they've also got some very promising young prospects who are hopefully going to come in and be parts of this team eventually too. And uh, it's just like you said, I mean, it's such an exciting time. And uh, just to finish up on Luongo, you know, he, he did miss out on getting to be on the Olympic staff this year, but the NHL is committed to going to the Olympics in 2026. And there's also very likely going to be a 2024 world cup of hockey in the winter uh, of that year in February. So there's a opportunity for him to be a part of that team as well. So I, I don't think you have to worry about seeing him, uh, take part in the international stage. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just I'm just interested in his journey and you know where it takes us from here and 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 what have you, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, well, uh, the next thing I want to go to is uh, a game that we went to in October of 2019. Uh, we saw the Panthers play the Oilers at Rogers Place right around your birthday, and this was something that we had talked about doing for a while. So it was awesome to finally go to an NHL game with you. We were, were both both at the Oilers Flames game that april about six months earlier but we we didn't sit together so this was the first time we actually got to go to a game uh and you know talk during the game and just kind of you know take in the game together so i just want to know what were what did you think of rogers place and you know what were your standout moments from that weekend in edmonton yeah first off i just want to thank you as a friend and i think i have before but just like you know you organizing that and getting the tickets and and figuring out all that and then um, like I mostly have family in the Fort Saskatchewan area and Sherwood Park area. So 
we, you know, you and I, we ended up staying with my family there, up there, and it was Shout out to them as well, you know, for having us too. I really appreciated that. And I'd never never been to Fort Sask either. I mean, it it is about half an hour away from Edmonton. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not that far of a drive all in all, but uh, yeah, just, uh, I was always so used to staying at the Coliseum Inn up until recently. That was my go-to place. So it was almost kind of odd to to go there and not go to my usual surroundings, like to come into the city in a different way and, and stay somewhere else. But I, I really do appreciate them, uh, obviously. And, and we, I think we both made that, uh, very clear to them that we appreciated that. Yeah. It was a pleasure having you and stuff. And like, I, I, I always get up to Edmonton, like usually once or twice a year now with COVID hitting, it's kind of been a little different that way, but I have mm-hmm. tons of family there and they're all Oilers fans. They're all hockey fans. They come in my annual hockey playoff pool. Um, all the men, all the women, all the children. <laughs> I even got some of the kids like, you know, coming in it and stuff like that, you know, every, every playoff year. So it's, it's just fun getting up there and seeing them. And so like, I, I never, you know, I've had Euler fan friends as fans, um, getting tongue tied there, uh, <laughs> growing up through the years, like I mentioned to you, my one friend, Robert, uh, but right. you know, I just was never like really compelled to get up there to see a Florida and Edmonton game. But when you got the new rink Rogers place, you're like, you're like Kirby, you got to see this building. Right. And I'm like, well, I have seen it with my uncle. He's given me kind of a tour of the outside of the building. So beautiful just to see, you know, all the Stanley cups and banners presented. It's such a nice media room. Of course, you and I coming from a communications broadcasting background, I really appreciate that stuff. And it's kind of like a perfect meld of the media and the fans getting, you know, to kind of interact or very close together to the players. So I just thought like the setup was really nice, but I never got to see inside the building because it was the off season. So I never got to see inside there until I went with you on this trip. And my eyes were just popping on my head. I say this to uh, Panther fans, when Calgary eventually gets a new rink and like, you know, Seattle has a new rink now and Edmonton has a beautiful rink, like wait till Calgary gets the rink, then do this whole trip because Rogers place, just to speak on that, it's just beautiful arena walking up to it when you when you get into the rink and then just the jumble try it's like nothing else like calgary they're they, you know their arena is as old as i am so that yeah that give you a little reference i'm not super old you know i you know, know sometimes here's the thing. i got a few years on you eric and you mentioned that sometimes but like well, it does need like major upgrades <laughs> and like you know with the jumbotron and different things like that so when you go into roger's place my eyes were just popping off my head and i've been to major league baseball games i've been to the staples right. center I've been to Staples Center not for an LA Kings game, but you know I've been there for other sporting events. So it was just like remarkable, just looking at that screen and like the seats and how they're positioned. And you're like, you were explained to me how the design of the arena is, and like just it it was just well constructed. Mm-hmm. It's just such a wonderful job. And like I actually want to go back there again, whether and I if it works out whether it's like yeah you know same thing for me knock on wood that i'm gonna get a playoff ticket for next week i'm keeping my fingers crossed that i'm gonna be able to go to game one of the oilers and kings on monday night but uh you know i've been there 10 times now and uh, i try to go to at least a few a year There, there was a couple times when i couldn't because i was either in toronto for grad school or the pandemic was going on for a year and a half and there were no fans allowed in the building. So there are, there are certain situations that have made it, you know, hard to go at those times, but uh, overall, like it, it is such a fantastic building and I'm glad you got to see it. You know, it's right up there with the Red Wings arena considered, you know, one of the best, uh, yeah. the best arenas, not just uh, in the NHL, but uh, across North America for any, and I'm uh, for any pro sports. 
Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I'm promoting the rink to like my fan base because I have a lot of followers on Twitter and social media from Florida. But then like yeah. we have different fans and like I'm on Twitter spaces. If you guys aren't aware of what that is, it's like you can get on after a game and talk to like 10, 20, 30 people of your fan base. Other fan base members can jump in if they're following someone. So like, yeah, whenever, you know, Edmonton comes up, I'm like, that's a beautiful rink. And uh, and uh, like I'm promoting it for other fans across the league. Like, well, I appreciate to, that too. To that's there, awesome, right? man. If, if, if they can make a trip, but I'm telling them to wait till Calgary because you know you go see Seattle's new rank, you see Edmonton's, and it's Calgary's kind of like, eh. but like Seattle's you know, is refurbished Calgary... too, right? Like Keystone Arena, they that that was a pre-existing building, right? No, no, they're in the new one now, I believe. Oh, they, okay. I, I, was... I, I follow college, I follow college basketball, and I think they played in that arena this year. So. Okay, I I had yeah. thought that it was a, an arena that they had. Uh... Now you're making me think. I thought it was brand new. If well, either way, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it up later. Yeah, we'll but I, up, yeah. But yeah, I thought it was like, renovated. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure, because they wanted to bring the Sonics back there and for the NBA and stuff like yeah. that. And there was like, oh, I have a friend that knows the area really well, and it's like a really bad area for transit. So like, it, it, mm. it was a long time in the making to like, how can we make this work out right? So there's a lot of planning and things like that, and like. Calgary, you know, they've been behind on the eight ball and on their arena and stuff, but now it's like slowly progressing. I'm not sure if it's didn't. It's I think they they canceled the arena deal, if I'm not mistaken, a, a couple yeah. months ago. So as of right now, I don't believe that there is any tentative plans to start construction, which kind of caught me off guard because this is a city that. And like I said, as much as I hate the Flames, they're a city that loves their team. So you would think that getting the Flames a new building would be a, a high priority, but yeah. it seems it seems to fall through time and again. It's been a lot so, of issues with political, you know, people that are in power, and like we have a new mayor now. So like, and it took a while for Edmonton too. Like the 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 plan, uh, the the original plan for the arena in Edmonton in 2011 uh, fell through, and then they, I think, by 2012 it was back in place and then shovels were in the ground by February of 2014. Yep. And obviously they had their groundbreaking, uh, September of 2016. So, I mean, they did good. They did a good job on their deadline. Yeah. Building an arena is like a two and a half year process. So, I mean, even if the flames started building on their, their new, uh, arena right now, I mean, they're still going to be playing at the dome for three more years. So it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Yeah, and it's like, you know, one of the oldest buildings now, you know, with the Islanders doing what they have. And like MSG will always be MSG for the Rangers, and they've done yeah. major major renovations there. So And I know yeah, you joke like, too. Like I sorry, go go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. All I was gonna say is I know you joked about like, okay, thirty eight is still young for life as as a person, but for an arena, it's uh yeah. it's pretty ancient. I mean, even when the Oilers when they stopped playing at Northlands Coliseum, which was called Rexall Place at the time that building was 42 years old so even older than the saddle dome is and you know it, it was it was definitely past its best day as well i mean it's still such an iconic building and you know countless records were won there four or were set there i should say four stanley cups were won there wayne gretzky played all his his greatest years in that building but they definitely needed uh, an upgrade although i will say i am glad that connor mcdavid got to play one year in that building so that there was sort of that crossover a little bit of, yeah, uh, of from, like from one generation like to the other yeah just yeah. to say that you know wayne gretzky and connor mcdavid played in the same building at least for one season before um moving to rogers place and rexall place was the house that gretzky built and so far over the past six years, Rogers Place has, without a doubt, been Connor's house. 
And yeah, like just to kind of wrap up on the whole arena thing, like the Panthers arena is in a real tough location. Ottawa's is in a tough location. Arizona's now that that whole ball wax is just getting, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. But those would be the three rinks that are in in kind of like tough locations. But with Mm -hmm. Florida being a good team, their attendance numbers have come up. But they are trying to build more in the Fort Lauderdale area where the rink is in Sunrise, which is right next to the Everglades. So they're building, um, they're reconstructing the War Memorial. I think it's the War Memorial Coliseum. Um, and they're kind of re- reinvigorating that area in Fort Lauderdale. So one day I could see when Florida does need a new rink, I could see them moving to Fort Lauderdale area and it will be more centralized, easier for fans to get to. So those are all things to consider for the Flames, for the Panthers down the road, for teams that are looking at, you know, building new arenas. Ottawa in, being in a Canadian market, they're in a really tough location. Yeah, they're Canada, out in Canada, Canada which is in, right? not in a good spot at all. Like yeah. I have a some family out in Ottawa and <clears throat> they've said that it's, it's really tough to get out to games there. Yep. And yeah, and it's a thing and people don't realize that. And, and when you're a team like the Florida Panthers and you're not a historic winning franchise, it's even harder and you're not in a hockey hotbed, you well, know, because like you haven't Edmonton, built, it's, it's hard. You, it's hard you don't have that wealthy. built in fan base, right? Like when the Oilers went through the decade of darkness, I mean, you're, you're playing in a city where the hot, the NHL team is everything. So even if they're at the bottom of the league, it's still, the biggest team in town when when the Panthers are playing in South Florida there's a lot more competition and the only other you know big league team in town in Edmonton is the Eskimos and their seasons really don't cross over other than for about a month and a half in the fall so it's it's not really even like they college football and yeah and and NFL and everything like that and there's and there's so much things outside of sport that you can do in Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Sunrise in Broward County so, you know, Boca, wherever you, however far you want to extend the fan base, right? Because the fan base, they come from all over different suburbs and, and areas and, and cities and locations, right? So, and then obviously the Canadian snowbirds that are down there. But now a lot more are wearing Panther jerseys and not just wearing Leafs and Canadians and, and Habs and Rangers and all this, right? And that's how, that's how, you know, the Panthers would market, you know, games around Christmas. Well, we need those original six team or we need those big market Canadian teams. And, yeah. you know, how are we going to sell tickets to smaller american markets or smaller canadian markets we're not going to have people in the in the arena this year i think we sold out or we had our best crowd when we were playing the san jose sharks a team that's not even in the playoffs or a big market team so things change when you start to win and build a culture around that so and you know it's funny because you and i were talking just before the podcast about uh some of the espn 30 for 30 docs and a lot of people forget this but the first documentary they ever made in 2009 was uh, called King's Ransom, and it was about the the Gretzky trade from the Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings in 1988. And in that documentary, Wayne Gretzky, he's talking to the director, Peter Berg, and he's Peter Berg kind of asks him, like, what does what does hockey and what do the Oilers mean to Edmontonians? And he said, you know, I get this question a lot from people across the United States. And the way I always describe it is, you know, when the Olympics are on and for those two weeks, it seems like the Olympics are all anyone can talk about. That's what the Oilers are in Edmonton 12 months out of the year. Mm -hmm. And that, and I agree that is, that is an accurate statement. Um, But when you go to places where hockey isn't the number one sport in town, you know, it, I mean, even if the Panthers win a Stanley Cup this year, 
it's that's not going to make them the number one team in South Florida, but it will obviously. Yeah, you can't say that with the Dolphins and the Heat and everything. Exactly. Like that. I mean, you would ask they, for the better coverage, but you, you would know, ask for better coverage. That, that's even you got to fight for that sometimes. But, but you know this. But, but you know the Florida market anyone, loves like, winners. They love winners, right? Yes. So, <laughs> but I think you you would say this better than than anyone. Like, uh, uh, football, basketball, and college sports. I mean. That is really the king of the American sports mountain, right? Yeah, and they have so many college teams too, right? Like you look at, you know, those Florida so, State Seminoles, the Gators, the Hurricanes. Like they have so many in the market. And they're like, class, I'm a college basketball fan, um, like some of your guests that you've had on here. And uh, I appreciate listening to those podcasts sometimes as well. I know Brian's a big uh college basketball fan a big fan of his when when you have him on your show and we talk a lot of college basketball you know on twitter and stuff like that and yeah there's just so many big college basketball college football especially markets that you know take up fan bases and attention and that's when the nhl season starts so it's it's hard to get that ball rolling you know in october and november and then december and then you're into january right so then the tenants numbers start to come up but you know you got to put a winning product on the ice too and i know the owners are realizing that the management team's realizing that and the players realize that too so it's nice to see that you know these dreams finally being realized here and you're you know in the last two three years but you know we got to keep building on it and you need to have playoff success in in the florida market you know to 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 sustain it so mm-hmm. we know that as a fan base too like we need to see the, you know those results in the playoffs sure and before we move on to talk about some other things just just to wrap up on this uh what were some of your your favorite standout moments from uh our trip to edmonton about two and a half years ago yeah i know um the last day before i was heading back um to calgary you and i we went around and we did some uh sports shopping flea market shopping and i have actually a pitter picture on my twitter banner uh profile of the stanley cup statue i don't know how big it is eric but it's it's massive and i remember it was pretty cold out there so i had to put my jersey on i had a hoodie <laughs> hoodie on underneath and you're like well you need to get a photo it's, by uh, this Kurt, right? so i never, I never visited tall. it before 12 how, what, how it's tall? 12 feet tall so 12 about feet. so about double your height and uh it's in old strathcona right by united sport and cycle and the the other shop you're thinking of was the antique mall there. And I always like going there because they have so many cool things from the eighties of, you know, not just yep. like, not just Oilers memorabilia, but they have like old video games and stuff that, and you know, even like some toys that old I, toys that, that, I that, that I remember as a kid. So, I mean, you, you walk through and it's almost like a trip down memory lane for people of our generation, just kind of go look in. I don't, I don't think I've ever made one purchase there, but I always like walking through and just seeing uh, the stuff. It's almost like walking into like 1993 when you walk through, yeah. uh, that like it just you see the the Super Mario games for the original Nintendo and uh you know it's the Transformer action figures and stuff like that and it's just like wow like I I feel like a kid looking at all this stuff again and then yeah, when we, you see the Oilers stuff too I mean that makes it even yeah, more, uh, the, more special little, yeah little treasures here little yeah. NHL treasures here or there and it's like so neat and just to experience that for a day I know uh if any Florida fans came up here like I would recommend that that little loop trip it's for them like cool on an off story. day or or pregame a little pregamer before they go right and spe- it's just so, it's so neat and i know you and i've talked about maybe doing you know launching a, a pop culture entertainment podcast one day and like we talk about a lot of those things you know mm-hmm. toys from the past this movie from the past you know different things like that so yeah it was a really neat day so that was one of the things that we started 
you know, I'd, I'd do it again, right? You go back and, you know, yeah. you, you know, and, and do that, do that trip definitely again. Like I said, I have family there, but like I go there during the summer. I don't go there during the hockey season all the time right. and different things. And now, you know, I have a reason to go back because Rogers Place is really like beautiful arena to take in, not only once, but like, you know, multiple times. Oh, for sure. And I'm glad that you got to see uh, United Sport and Cycle too, because I think it is such a an awesome sports shop. And you mentioned Brian, I believe he actually worked there about 20 cool. years ago too. So uh, I'll have to confirm that with him, but I'm pretty sure I've got that right. And uh, I mean, I've, I've bought some stuff from there over the years too. I think most recently I got uh, a Wayne Gretzky jersey and a Connor McDavid jersey on the same day. I had them actually, I had them hold them for me. This was back in 2016 when I was coming to Edmonton for the last ever game at uh, Rexall place. And I always get my jerseys in Edmonton. So I called ahead of time and I said, hey, I'm looking for the the CCM Wayne Gretzky white home jersey uh, from the 80s. Do you have one in a size large? Hold it for me. They did. And I said, OK, I also want to get the McDavid draft jersey. Uh, you know, the the original orange one. I don't know if you remember with the royal blue. It was sort of the mm-hmm. WHA inspired jersey. The one that he yep. got at his draft in 2015. Uh, that was actually the the better orange jersey i think than the one they have now and i got them to hold one for for me too so it was a, an expensive jersey day but uh i really wanted well to, you're a jersey a collector you have a, i am you, you're a jersey collector and i'm a, more of a card collector especially from right. my younger years and you still haven't got to my place yet to see all my edmonton oiler collection of cards and my dad I've one of the smartest of things stuff, my though, dad ever came. told me yeah i, I haven't seen you a little, everything I some of the things i've only been to your yeah, house one other, time in calgary but like you, yeah, you, uh, seen, you showed me i haven't seen everything yet you haven't seen everything one of the smartest things i want to tell your audience that my dad told me growing up and you know my dad my dad wasn't a hardcore flames fan he was he played major junior hockey he played against um some nhl players he almost played against the montreal junior canadians he's like if we would have played against them as the regina junior pats we would have lost like 10 to 2 or 12 to 2 <laughs> i think they had like uh they had uh gilbert Gilbert Perot and like, you know, all these guys from the Canadians yesteryear on that team. But anyways, one of the smartest things my dad ever told me about collecting was like, Kirby, I don't care if you like him or not, but collect Wayne Gretzky stuff because that stuff will be valuable one day. And the thing is, it is valuable, but a lot of things during my era, they were mass produced. But even if you have Gretzky memorabilia, Mm -hmm. it's worth stuff. So I have like lunch pail boxes, hockey cards, like uh, you know, mini sticks, like just different things, you know, that you find throughout the way, probably some like old cereal boxes, um, things from newspapers or sports illustrated, you right. know, front covers I kept of Gretzky and I made sure to keep those in really good condition and not touch them too much. So yeah, like I probably have stuff put away that I don't even know I have. And if you came here, I'd probably forget to show you <laughs> some items. Right. So I definitely um, want to see all of it. And, you know, I was going to say, if you ever go to Vegas, maybe you could be on an episode of Pawn Stars. <laughs> you watch that show? With, I've actually been there. Yeah, I, I watched that show, and I've been there with my brother too. And we. Oh, seen, you've uh, actually been to the yeah. the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop. And I, I think saw that's Rick what it's called, right? And his wife. Yeah. Uh, yes. Was Rick there the day that? Uh... Um, we saw. I think Chumley and uh, what Rick son, I can't remember his name, come through the back there. Big and then Hoss. Rick, well, I know that's his nickname, Big Hoss. Uh, Big Rick and uh, his wife was there filming. I was standing next to his wife and she was like standing. I, I don't there. think they show his wife on the show very much. Not too much or whatever, but I was like standing like right next to her, shoulder to shoulder next to her. And they were filming. And uh, the guy, the other guys that um are from Iowa, they were there filming and they had their, um they had their uh, van there. Corey. His son's name is Corey. Rick Harrison, Corey Harrison, Chumley. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they were kind of at the back, so we weren't like super close. Was the old man was... still around at that time? I know he passed. Yeah, away he was around then. Yeah, but I, okay. I didn't see him that day. So they were off shift. And then saw the big security guard guy. He was working. Oh, I bet they yeah. have a, a big security yeah, had, like, guy at all times. Converging that day, it was so neat. It was so neat to kind of like see and everything like that. So yeah, I I went to Vegas with my brother. That's a story for another day. But we okay, went, oh, I yeah. like I like that show, and and also um, I loved to see all the the Rick memes on Twitter, like the oh. the best. You know, like when he always has that line, the best I can do is this. And, and when he's like <laughs> lowballing and you'll you'll it'll either be about like a pro athlete signing a contract or or something like that. Yeah, it'll Super like, Bowl ring or something. Yeah. The, and, and there will be a meme. It's like the best I can do is like 250 or like a ham sandwich. They always try to make it something funny or like the best I could do is an old newspaper, you know, like because Rick has that yeah. reputation of lowballing uh, everyone who comes in and tries yeah, to pawn something. And you and I know in sports memorabilia that's sometimes when the show catches my eye if I'm just flipping, you know, flipping, <laughs> flipping around yeah. and uh yeah, it's like low ball offers on some of that stuff. You're like, really? Like you and I knowing like sports memorabilia a bit and like, you know, what the value of that is and stuff. So yeah. Uh I want to get a thought from you now on the Panthers season and the Oilers season. So let's go there before we get into uh, some other stuff. Obviously, you know, I know you're a fan of the entire league. You follow it fairly closely and the Oilers might be in the other conference. So you don't see them as often. I know you still keep an eye on them, Uh, but let's start with your own team. Just uh, give me your thoughts on the Penguins, sorry, on the Panthers season overall. Yeah. Just like I was saying earlier, like I, uh, you wanted kind of my preseason rankings when we were having a conversation one day before the season. And I'm like, Eric, you know, I have the Panthers at, you know, three, four, five. And you were kind of like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I'm being honest. That's where I kind of have them. I seen how they played against Carolina last year, the Islanders who, you know, the Islanders unfortunately dipped a bit. I think that had a little bit to do with their schedule and their new rink, um, how they played against Tampa Bay, obviously. And then coming back into the normal divisions with the Leafs who, you know, performed well last year, who are performing well this year. So I thought they had the potential to be three, four, five. I didn't think as of this podcast, we would be, you know, going for the president's trophy, being first in the league, you know, that type, that type of season. And, you know, the numbers that we're putting up, I think at one point, I don't know what we're at right now, but I think we were around 4.25 goals per game. And that was like, you know, massive and, you know, breaking like records since 95, 96. And, I didn't think, you know, I knew our offense would be good, but with the additions of like Sam Reinhardt and um, super rookie Anton Lundell, who unfortunately has had a couple injuries this year, but when he's been in the lineup, he's been one of our best players or like, you know, you could arguably say one of our top five players night in, night out. And I would include Sam Reinhardt outside of Jonathan Huberto. I'd say Sam Reinhardt game in, game out after he had to get acclimated to the team for the first 10 games of the season was one of our, has been one of our best players all season long. And Aaron Ekblad was putting up, um, I know, you know, we talk about defense a bit, you and I, with Darnell Nurse and Aaron Ekblad and the seasons that they put up and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he was around, you know, this was before Roman Yossi got really hot. Uh, Kale McCarr was probably leading the league. Uh, Victor Hedman was there. I would say, like, Ekblad was 3-4-5 in the Norse race at one point, and then he went down with another knee injury here, which we're hoping to have him back in the first round. Goaltending's been interesting. People from the outside... We'll say we don't get good goaltending. Um, it's not as simple as that. Um, Bobrovsky's probably having his best season as a Florida Panther here in his what third season. And then Spencer Knight, 
who, you know, got some time last year as a rookie. Uh, this year, he kind of started a little slow. He needed to go down to the AHL, get a little bit more experience there. I think one game he got like a 42-save shutout or 44-save shutout. We called him back up, and he started playing really well for us. Yeah, because he, lo- he looked like he was ready to go last year. I thought they were going to be trying to offload uh, uh, Bobrovsky if they could because Knight was already looking like he could step in as the starter. Yeah, we like we had to move around salary, and um, this year we're good. Next year we're going to be a little cap crunched. Uh, probably not as bad as the Minnesota Wild, <laughs> but um, yeah, they've got a like, really bad situation. Yeah, I think they have, real, I think they have like twelve or fourteen million dollars of dead cap space next season. Yeah, with Parise and that's uh, crazy. I mean, as good as that team is right now, when you have that much dead cap sitting on the the payroll it's yeah it's going to be hard to like stay competitive like thank goodness for them that they got kaprizov signed already because if they had to like fit his yep. contract in on top of that it would be a nightmare yeah so i don't so for your fan base i don't want to say that like we are like the minnesota wild because Bobrovsky has been very you know useful for us he's he's had his moments where you know he's lets in a bad early goal or whatever but his contract will be kind of hard to move. So we're, we're really doing well with it. And with Spencer Knight being on the rookie scale right now. So yeah, that's something to worry about next year, maybe the year after, but it's something that we do have to eventually address. But um, Aaron Ekblad's deal at just over 7 million looks great right now. Uh, Barkov just re-upped for just over 10, I think. Um, Huberto, he's got one year left, so they're going to probably try to get him signed long-term. So there is money there. Reinhardt's, you know, Reinhardt's locked in for a few years. Duclair, Verhage, all these guys are locked in. We have to decide on Claude Giroux. And the the thing is, um, with your fans, if they're if they're watching Panthers during this playoff run, we're gonna have a tough call when it comes to Mackenzie Weger and Mason Marchment. Mason Marchment is 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 one part of the best third line in hockey with Sam Reinhardt and Anton Lundell. So that's arguably been the best. Well, I don't know if it's arguably. It's been the best third line all year. So I think Marchman it might price himself out or, you know, Uyghur with with the contract that he might require, you know, as well. So there's going to be a guy that we lose. But it, you just look at the Chicago Blackhawks. Past yeah, example, it's hard like, to keep everyone. I mean, hard to look keep how everyone, many, right? They, they lost, lost a lot of Buckland, pieces from Ryan their Campbell. 2010 piece, right? Like yeah, they, so I, I feel that's where we're at. If, yeah. You know, you know, so it's almost like you want it. You got to go for it this year because you yep. don't know what you know, what you're going to be able to do last year. I mean, Tampa lost a bunch of people from their cup run as well. And they kind of reloaded and they did it really well. And it's like, that's the model that we want to kind of follow. And that's why Bill Zito should get the GM of the year award because he's done such a good job of like locking guys in. So we're not going to lose like four, five, six guys, but we might lose one or two guys, but that happens. But I don't think there's going to be a precipitous drop off next year. It's just our fan base there can't expect to be like this many goals and this many points, but like we can still like, compete for the division, win the division, beat out Tampa, beat out Toronto. Tampa Bay and Toronto are having heck of seasons. And I just think, you know, it's a it's a testament to our management team and Bill Zito and what he's done. So, like, I don't know if we'll have this type of regular season next year, but I'm fine with, you know, not having this good of a regular season next year, but having, you know, even more playoff success next year, right? So this team is in it to win. We've dealt our first-round draft picks so um, over the next few years. So we're definitely in to win in this two-, three-, four-year window. And that's that they're building it around Barkov, Huberto, and Ekblad because they're, like I talked earlier about, they're in that window to win now, right? So. It'll be interesting how it all plays out this playoffs, but that's like kind of off-season talk, and I know you and I will do that. We might even do it on the podcast here. So yeah. um, we enjoy talking off-season stuff. But you and I, you're focused on the playoffs. I'm focused on the playoffs. I know exactly. you are well, Oilers, right? Well, so. I know we started off the podcast by talking about how we 
when we met, we were talking about uh, draft picks. So it's nice to kind of go from mm-hmm. having to have the draft be the the biggest thing we're looking forward to, to uh, hopefully a playoff run being the the thing that is going to be the most important part of our season this year. And obviously, I mean, the the Panthers are ahead of the Oilers in the standings. Um, they, you know, the Oilers might have a a little bit of a easier path to to get to the second or third round than the Panthers do just because of you know some of the teams that you might be going up against but yeah but uh, St. Louis Minnesota playing their best hockey of the year Colorado and Calgary I think have been and the Oilers wouldn't have to play any of those central teams until the conference final so I mean you'd have to get through you know once we Calgary in that second round and yeah yeah, Calgary I I said I'm not a Calgary fan but this team that Calgary has is one of the top teams I think they've had since the Theron Fleury era so Mm -hmm. I've I, I'm I'm critical of them in the inside this market if they're not built for the you know if they're just built for the regular season and not for the right. playoffs they're not going to which we're going to talk about this player in a minute or two here Johnny Goodrow they're not all dependent on what he does so I do like how they've insulated this team but they they're going to have to get the goaltending that they have with uh, Jakob Markstrom and then they're going to have to get um kind of their depth blue liners to play well and you know if the Oilers get rolling after that first round it's going to be a heck of a second round if Calgary gets through their matchup whoever they play with so. Yeah, I, I've told you I've been looking forward to that matchup for the last two, three years, the Battle of Alberta. So it'll be awesome because my team's still playing at that time. Hopefully, second round, all things go well. Um, you know, it's early game, and then I can watch that game right after. Or it's on the off night when the Panthers aren't playing. So I'll definitely be glued in. I try to catch the Oilers 10, 15, 20 games a year. Same with the Flames. So I think I do know the two teams inside of my market quite well um, right. as an outside fan. So, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to that matchup, and it's the perfect time for it because I think both teams are playing as well as they can if they're going to match up with each other in the playoffs. So, Right. And uh, like I said, I know the Oilers aren't the a, a team that you follow as closely as some of the Eastern uh, opponents that the, the Panthers go up against on a regular basis, but I'll just get a quick thought from you on their season and how they've sort of turned things around in the second half here. Yeah, um, not much that I can add that your fan base doesn't know. It's been a very interesting uh, ride this year where, you know, the Oilers were second or third place at one time and, you know, winning percentage. And then they went on their slide where they were second, third last. And then they've brought it back up again with, um, you know, new head coach, Jay Woodcroft. And like the players, you know, that you've had injuries and you've been able to deal with that. I know Darnell Nurse has missed some games this year. And then like, I think you're getting the goaltending now. It's, It's really hard when like, you're like, well, an organization says, get rid of a head coach, get rid of the general manager. Like at the end of the day, you need saves. And um, yeah. my team has been there too in the last couple of years. Like we're paying a guy $10 million in Bobrovsky. You need saves. And it's been hard, you know, for times for the Oilers. But then Koskinen's got hot. I know he played one of his best games against us this year uh, in, in, in Sunrise. And he played another great game at Vegas that I watched this year. And then now Mike Smith's kind of turning back the clock a bit. And you hope that he can do that in the playoffs. And if you get that type of goaltending, you know, you have that offense with with McDavid, Drysidle. You've got you know new additions to the team and Warren Fogle and Zach Hyman. I think these are the type of players the Oilers need and that they've been lacking in the past. If you want to play playoff style hockey, it's like yeah, you can have the best players in the world, but you know that doesn't always mean that you're going to win those games. And I think you know I think the Oilers learned some lessons playing the Chicago Blackhawks, guys that have had success and you know that are not really in the primes of their career and um, just kind of how they've kind of rebounded. Your five on five numbers have come up, and I know because I know that because we're at the top of the league and um, with your new scheme and systems, getting those saves, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, your your power play can dip a bit because you guys were at an all time high this year up there. With it's Toronto. been a lot better lately, though. I mean, that's been one of the things uh, under Jay Woodcroft. The power play has uh, seen some improvement. I mean, especially but in you're the not game. gonna always bring it up to like those numbers. It, yeah, it's not it gonna be. I mean, it was operating at close to fifty percent in the the first month of the season, which is just unreal. I mean, now like last night they had I think three power plays against the Penguins. They scored on two of them. Uh, and we've we've seen it start to click a lot more recently. And I think one of the biggest things is they're not always just trying to go for uh, Connor with the cross-ice feed to Leon Dreisaitl for the one-timer. It got too predictable, and teams were sort of pre-scouting that and ready for it. So the fact that they've tried to change it up a little bit, and they have the skill to do it, but it's just like they got so used to that being the play that they wanted to do that it, it was just, it, they telegraphed it too much. And now that they're starting to add a few different elements to their power play, getting a few more goals around the net with the net front guy crashing the net and, and burying rebounds and tipping in pucks, that's added a new aspect. You know, the, Evan Bouchard isn't always on the point, but when he does, he can really rip the puck from the, from the blue line that adds a different element because uh, defenders have to respect his shot and it opens up more room for McDavid to work his magic down low. So there's these things that they're doing and also the penalty kill. Uh, there was a, a stretch of 12 games recently where the Oilers penalty kill scored four goals and only allowed two goals. So they were plus two on the power pl- or on the penalty kill, I should say over that time. Um, the five on five play, it's getting better. And uh, I mean, we've seen that, especially like they're the, they're not at the level of the, the Florida Panthers. But over the last month, you know, they've been playing a lot of playoff teams like Colorado, Dallas. I know Vegas didn't make it, but uh, they were, you know, at the time considered a playoff team, St. Louis, and they're beating yep. these teams. So the fact that they've they've been able to, you know, get the better of some of these top teams in the league, it gives me a little more confidence going into the playoffs that, OK, we can hang with the best teams in the league. It's just a matter of now, can they get it done at the most important time of year? Yeah, that's the big question. And just, you know, being able to ro- roll your depth. And f- I, I say this to the Panther fan base, like they talk special teams a lot, too. And I'm like, the winning time, it comes down to five on five and it comes down to timely goaltending and timely saves. And if you can get those two things in order, and I think, um, you know, under the new coach, the Edmonton Oilers are, you know, playing their best hockey in regards to like, you know, Absolutely, five yeah. on five play, right? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But outside of one, two goalies, and we might talk about that a little bit here in our next segment, but like it's whoever's hot at the right time, whatever goalie's playing his best, whatever team's uh, structurally playing well, what what matchup dependent, how well you're playing against the team you're playing against, because you're going to play that team every second night. You know, it's the same team, same team. So that's when it really gets interesting, because, you know, it, this season it's been very hard to project at times, like, how good is this team at the top of the standings? How good is right. this player? Like, these numbers that are being put up, team-wise, individual-wise, are record breaking numbers since the mid 90s some things dating back to the 80s so it's it's interesting right and there there uh, this is the first time in forever i think that the eastern conference has every playoff team over 100 points and i know the oilers i think just reached 100 points so there's there's mm-hmm. four or five or six teams in the west that are over 100 points now so um yeah like you said it may be an easier road in the west easier road in your division but nothing's going to be easy and you no, know it's you, never you know, even past- your first round opponent like you you can't look past any oh first- you can't look past i mean what if jonathan quick you know turns back the clock yep. i mean that's one of the biggest fears i will say like i i never cheer for injuries of any player but uh 
the Kings not having Drew Doughty available for this series will obviously be a factor uh, in, in favor of the Oilers not having to go up against him. Like He plays Connor very hard, despite the fact that they train together in the, the summers and, you know, practice against each other like they uh, he, he never lets up on Connor and you wouldn't expect him to. So not having to have uh, uh, the Oilers best player have to go up against the Kings uh, top defenseman will obviously be a will make the series a little bit of an easier matchup at least. Um, and I, I think want, just to add just to finish on that Kopitar and Dano down the middle of the ice, that's that's going to be matchups. That's going to be it. Like, line it's matching be two... on home ice and, and road ice. That's, that's what I'm looking at in that series. Like how are lines being matched up in yeah. the playoffs, like last change. And I think that's one of the series um, in all the first round matchups that's going to be very important on the last change with those, you know, center center matchups. Yeah, I mean, you really have to think that's going to be the test. Can the Oilers top two superstar centers get by the Kings top two defensive centers? So that's uh, going to be an intriguing uh, matchup for sure. OK, I want to get now to, with you to the uh the the most interesting segment of the podcast and this is something that i've been looking forward to talking to you about because uh both of our teams have players that are uh in the race for this award and that's the hart memorial trophy you know arguably the the most important uh, individual award in uh the nhl you could make a case that the ted lindsay award is just as valuable, if not more valuable, because the players vote on it as opposed to the writers. But it, I, I still don't know if it has the the prestige, the name value that the Hart Trophy carries, uh, being you know almost a hundred years old. And uh, obviously, last year Connor McDavid was the unanimous winner. Uh, he got every single first place vote and kind of ran away with it. But this year, if you look at it, uh, it's a much wider field of of contenders who could. Uh, uh, end up taking at home. So I just want to ask you, who are your leading candidates to win the Hart Trophy? So this is a question you and I talked about a couple months ago because obviously, you know, guys on our teams being in the race and, you know, being at the top. But, you know, my vote like two months ago was, you know, Eric, I'm leaning at, you know, Matthews and Shesterkin being kind of one, two, I think I might, I think it was Shesterkin. I had at number one at the time. I think I had Matthews two, a Huberto was kind of two B. And then I had like Johnny Gaudreau and McDavid in that four or five hole. But since then, Connor McDavid has elevated his, you know, his individual play, his numbers, he's leading the league in points. Also his team has gone on a tear as well. So I, you know, I do lean towards team success a little bit Mm -hmm. when it comes to the higher award and like most valuable to your team. So I don't think the Rangers would be where they are without Shesterkin's play. I think at one time he, I was looking at his numbers yesterday. I think he was below sub two zero zero and his save percentage was like way up there. And, uh, you know, his numbers have dipped a little bit. I know for a while there, he hadn't let in uh, three or four goals in like a, 10 or 15 or 20 game stretch. I know he's had a couple off games here recently. So I think his, his, his numbers have dipped a little bit. So I would, I, I dropped him back from where I had him a month and a half, two months ago. Um, when you listen to the experts and the people that are putting the votes in, it, it seems like it's a two horse race right now. It's McDavid and Matthews, Matthews and McDavid. So I think most lists would have to include that. And if I wrote a list tonight, it would have to include those two definitely in the top three. I think McDavid has elevated himself in the last two months from, say, a three, four, five position to definitely a top two position. Um, my guy, it's hard to say, but like 
I, I want him to be nominated for the heart. I would love him to get some second, third place votes, even if he doesn't get first place votes. He is a winger. Um, he is not necessarily, if you look at the team, the best player on our roster. That is Alexander Barkov. But Alexander Barkov has missed games this year. Jonathan Huberto plays on the second line. Some of these players that he's competing for this award, he's played 200 less minutes. So people are like, you know, I don't think that they're giving him that credit as a winger. And there's another guy that we'll mention here in a second that's a winger. That he's not getting that credit that, you know, Austin Matthews is for 60 goals. That's a remarkable feat. And Austin Matthews has put more emphasis to a two-way game. His analytics numbers look good. His eye test, you know, stats look good, even though he's missed some games. Everything with McDavid looks great. Eye test, analytics, everything, uh, power play, even strength. So I get that those guys are up there. And, you know, if we're, you know, voting on it today or, you know, at the end of the season, I'm fine with seeing either Matthews or McDavid. I think it's that close to that gets the Hart Trophy. But it'll be interesting who will be in that three spot if it's Huberdo, if it's Shesterkin, and don't forget Roman Yossi, who's putting up like historic numbers. I think he's at 92 points right now. And that's like unbelievable for a defenseman. He actually passed. Kale McCarr, like say three, four months ago, who was getting a lot of, you know, heart talk at the time. People forget, like, as you go through a season, which guys are getting talk. And there's been so many guys that have been mentioned this year. It's unbelievable. Johnny Goodrow in my market, he's a winger like Huberdo. Um, in the past, I've said Johnny Goodrow is the engine of his line. It's not Sean Monahan, it's Johnny Goodrow. Mm-hmm. And I've said that to people for years, and people are like, well, Sean Monahan's a good player. I'm like, a lot of his plays are set up from Johnny, and it's like in front of the net, finish, tip in front. And then now that's his line mate. He's not even like in the lineup, and you know, he's dealing with injuries and he's dealing with inconsistency. So, yeah, Johnny's playing with um, Matthew Kachuk, who's a 100 point guy, and Elias Lindholm, who you know, some can argue is one of the most underrated players in the National Hockey League. So, that line itself has been good, but Johnny can say, Well, you know, I'm top when I know you have some stats in front of you top and even strength um you know i think it's is it assists or something or something uh, like that? i think he's leading the league in even strength points points okay i think points. he has yep. 85 which is you know fantastic like once again uh i'm, yeah, I'm never i, I'm I never had to mention c- him i had to mention no, him no, there, but honestly, he's there with my guy and he's there with some of these other guys no, right? i will say though as much as i don't cheer for any flames player you can't ignore the season he's having and the amount of even strength points he's putting up you know rivals mcdavid's best even strength scoring season so that's you know very impressive to but, say the least and and, uh, and i know we're talking about the heart trophy eric but like yeah what about leon dreisaitl like he he plays with Connor mcdavid and the year that he won the heart i told you eric and i you have this documented i said when i think mcdavid went down for the last 10 or 12 games of the year i said if Drysaddle takes this team by the reins he gets my heart vote and he was my heart vote that year because i saw what he did without mcdavid and i was like i was impressed by that but it's so hard when you play with other guys it's like the it's like boston with you know pasternak yeah if you're even if you're a superstar like if right? you're a superstar, cancel each other out, right? They sh- it shouldn't though. Like you know, great players play with other great players. That it it shouldn't uh, take away from your odds to win an award just because you have a line mate that's also very talented. It's like so by that by that logic, should we only allow uh, great players who play on weak teams and aren't surrounded by any talent? Are they the only ones that are uh, you know cr- capable of winning it? I I just. I, I've never got that argument. And if you think about it, like you named a lot of strong contenders. I mean, Jonathan Huberto, your guy, like let, look at it. He's the top scorer on the best team in the league. Uh, 
that's a pretty impressive feat. If you're the if you're the best player, and I know a lot of people argue that Barkov is still the best player on the team, but I mean, if you're the if you're the best offensive player on the best offensive team, that should make you at the very least a finalist. Yeah, and if they win the President's Trophy as well, I just really feel like you, Eric. You know me as a person and as a sports fan. I'm a realist. Yeah, and in saying that. Uh, Huberto is seven points currently back of McDavid with a couple games to go. Uh, Huberto's not going to win the Art Ross. But if Huberto oh. did end up winning the Art Ross in the last week of the it year... Would, it would I, increase his chances, It would for increase sure. his chances. So I do look at it logistically. And uh, and I was talking to the uh, Florida fan base about this. I said, guys, girls, you have to understand, like, the votes are coming from 30 40% of Canadian writers. They're, the other votes are coming from, like, the Northeast regions. And they have a guy in the race in Shesterkin. So, and then there's a defenseman in there in Yossi. So, like, yeah. guys are going to get squeezed out. Like, Johnny might not get votes because McDavid's getting votes out west. Huberto might not get votes because Matthews is getting votes inside mm-hmm. his division. Huberto or... Um, Yossi might not get votes because Shesterkin's getting votes from the Northeast and from like the New York media and the media as a whole. And New York's a big, massive market. So a lot of these things come into play. The East Coast writers are like, we don't watch the guys out West. We're already in bed. Or, you know, I know Florida's having a great season, but I haven't watched them closely. And you're like, what? Like they're going for the president's trophy. But I know that as a as a realistic Florida Panther fan, that not everyone is watching our team or much later in the season. And then they see Barkoff, you know, uh, one goal away from 40 goals. And they're like, well, look at what Barkoff's doing. Yeah, but he missed time. And Huberto's played every game this season. There's so. probably a lot more of writers watching their own markets now than ever before, because also writers aren't traveling as much because of the pandemic. And, True. you know, but they have NHL center. It's way easier. Yeah, but it's but way easier to get focused on the guys who you see night after night, as opposed to like if you're a Toronto-based writer and Edmonton, you only see twice a year. You know, you might not pay attention as much, even though you'd like to think that you know what McDavid is doing would you know catch national attention. I don't know if it reaches everyone. And Huberto, even playing in a non-traditional hockey market, probably even makes it harder for him. Like the Panthers literally had to have their best season in franchise history for anyone to even kind of acknowledge them. Right. Which I'm well, sure because they're, in a, they're, they're happy in the is happening. The Leafs. They're in the division. Yeah. Make least in the back-to-back Stanley cup champion, Tampa Bay lightning. I want to mention one thing with Huberto, um, the analytics community. I won't mention any prominent names, but guys with blue check marks, women with blue check marks, they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not fan of, uh, you know, Huberto analytically. So that, that starts to hurt, you know, when you're on social media. Now I'm not saying all those voters are going towards that, but they're like, well, you know, he doesn't do things even strength as Goodrow, or he's not analytically as good as Matthews or McDavid. Well, he's not a center iceman. He's playing on the second line, you know, like we have like one of the best first lines in hockey, one of the best second lines in hockey, one of the best third lines in hockey, one of the best fourth lines. Right. So, um, and then when it comes to Johnny Goodrow, He's got a guy that's playing better than him and McDavid. So it's like an East writer or a Toronto writer. If they're not voting three Canadian players, they're like, well, one of my votes is going to Matthews. One's going to McDavid and one's going to pick your pick your poison on the other one. So then he'll get squeezed out of votes. So like I'm not just looking at it from myself as a Panther fan. I'm just looking at like, you know, Yossi, they're like, well, maybe we'll give him the Norris and he's not going to get, you know, MVP voice. So same thing with Shesterkin. And I'm a heavy proponent that a defense and or a goalie should be up for those awards. You see Chris Pronger from the past. You see Dominic Hasek. True. So like I'm not but- saying these guys are Chris Pronger or Dominic Hasek, but the seasons that these players are putting up our career years like Matthew Kachuk and Mitch Marner. These guys are putting up like hundred point seasons or near hundred point season. They're not even getting talked up 
because well, there's there, so many players ahead so, of them. There's so many guys ahead of them. And the other thing is too, Kirby, like, yes, like those were, uh, you know, excellent seasons for uh, Pronger and Hasek. But I mean, I know like, Pronger beat out Yager and Bure, so I remember yes. that. Uh, and, you know, there was a couple times where uh, Yager won the scoring title where he didn't end up taking home the heart because uh, those, you know, like you said, those two guys basically denied him of the opportunity. And I'm not saying that defensemen and goalies shouldn't be able to win the heart, although they do have their own version of the heart trophy, the Norris and the Vezina for best goalie and best defenseman. And we if you look on it a bit, we differ on it a bit, right? Fine. But Kirby, if you look at it over the past 50 years, there's only been three goalies and one defenseman who have won the Hart Trophy. Since 1972, the only defenseman to win has been Chris Pronger, and the only three goalies to win have been Dominic Hasek, who won it twice, and uh, Carey Price and Jose Theodore, who each won it once. So it's extremely rare for those uh, positions to win a Hart Trophy, even if they are having a historically good season, like Roman Yossi is in Nashville. I mean, he's the first 90-point defenseman since 1993-94. Igor Shosturkin has led the Rangers to a 50-win season, and he's like the most important player on that team, even though they do have guys like Nika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, the way that he's playing outstanding goaltending. You know, he's They were supposed he, to be like a wild-card team. Yeah, too. and he's yeah, he's yeah. been like, He's, you know, made their rebuild uh, much shorter than they anticipated and has got this team to the point where, you know, if they went on a Stanley Cup run, it wouldn't even surprise a lot of people because goaltending is so important. I'd be scared to play them in the third round because he's playing well if they get to the third round, you know, and that's who we're matched up with. I'm like, that's a good matchup. Uh, and for us, because like we score a lot, and if we if he can neutralize our scoring, and then they neutralize like you know our rush chances, like again, but it's not a ward in the playoffs. Right. But if you're looking at those things, like like how how Eric, I'm gonna pose that question to you. How close do you think Yossi and Shesterkin are to be in the top three? Because I think they're right there, or they are I, there. So. I think that I think Yossi has a better chance to get in the Shesterkin. Um, but realistically, I, I like every writer in the Professional Writers Association, I believe. Uh, selects their top five and you get there's a point system for every first place vote second place vote third place and so so forth but when it comes down to the final three that they announce i don't think that either two of them are going to be a finalist uh if i Hmm. and i will say i do believe and yes you know i i am an Oilers fan, so I, I am biased towards my and own focus team. focus on the Canadian markets more, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do believe that McDavid should win. I mean, he does have 46 multi-point games left, or he, 46 multi-point games this season, which is the most of, uh, tied with Yarmer Yager, I should say, for the most of any player in the last 30 years. But also, he has two games left. I mean, what if he gets two points or more each against the Canucks and, and Sharks? Those are two pretty weak teams. Now we're talking about 48 out of 82 games, he had at least two points. I mean, that's inc- remarkable consistency. He's got 43 points in his last 23 games to take a seven-point lead in the scoring race. Just he's having a career year. Uh, it, it, to me, it would seem it, it would seem unfathomable that a guy who is going to finish with likely over 125 points wouldn't win the Hart Trophy because nine times out of 10, a season like that would be a lock for it. And maybe this is that one out of 10 seasons where it doesn't happen. The other thing is Austin Matthews. He's got 60 goals this year. Uh, He's the first player to do that in 10 years. Now, when 
Steven Stamko scored 60 goals in 2011-2012. He didn't win the the Hart Trophy, but I I don't think the Lightning made the playoffs that year. So that obviously okay. had a it, it had a factor in it. And I know that a lot of people will say, you know, the Art Ross Trophy shouldn't automatically equal the the Hart Trophy, but in reality, it it often does. I mean, you look at the last six years, five of the last six Art Ross winners have won the Hart Trophy as well. The only time since 2015-16 that an Art Ross Trophy winner didn't win the Hart Trophy was in 2017-18 when Connor McDavid led the league in points, but the Oilers missed the playoffs that year, so he didn't get it. And I do believe that if the Oilers would have made the playoffs, he would have got the Hart Trophy. So that would have been six years in a row of the Art Ross Trophy winner also taking home the Hart Memorial and Like Trophy. I said, I'm a big proponent you know, of that and how the Oilers have had their turnaround here of late. Especially like there, there's also it, the voter. I, I in my in my opinion, and I know Oilers fans, it might not matter to them, but to me, it elevates him more than you know if they went on a two and eight skit or something and just squeaked in or didn't make it or whatever, what have you, right? Because Vegas was yeah. pushed there, right? That yeah. to me matters. Like it does. Like okay, well you're the first or second or third leading score in the league, but you didn't make the playoffs, you know. So it's like I think around the league, uh, around sports, I mean, like you know. You need to be on a good team. I'm not saying like you have to be like Hubert old top top player in the league. And I'm I'm not gonna look at this season and be like, man, like he didn't win the Hart Memorial and we were the best right. team. This, we have so many guys putting up great seasons. But I think for it's you, like, it's not dragging us to it, right? So no. I do get that narrative and that argument too, right? But the the other thing is too, like you and I have talked about this. Like you know, you you know, you'd obviously rather I think. Uh, your player win a Conn Smythe trophy because that usually means that it's accompanied by a Stanley Cup. But yeah. uh, if, if Jonathan Huberto, who set the NHL record this season for assists by a left winger uh, in a single season, if and he... top Alexander Ovechkin's all his best seasons, by the way, I tweeted something out on that. Right. And I'm glad hey, we went with kind of viral. A little bit. viral. I, I didn't think it was, was going to, but like, and I know like you're like, he's more of a goal scorer crew. And like, yeah, I get that. But I was just like, that that to me that's a, that's astounding because he's one of the right. generational players of our of this current era right that you know is is kind of wrapping up and we're seeing these new stars come aboard now right mm-hmm. so, yeah. the other the other and I the other thing is too like you look at Huberto right uh, if he ends up second in the league in points so he comes second in the Art Ross race and he ends up finishing third in the Hart Trophy race I'm sure that there will be a certain amount of disappointment for you that he didn't end up taking home either award, but finishing second or third in a talent pool as deep as there is in the NHL right now, I'm sure that that's something that you'll still be able to hang your hat on and say, you know, that was an incredible season. Yeah, for him. like I can't argue like it's not the jo- Jose Theodore Jerome McGinley year where a writer leaves Jerome McGinley off the ballot and it's like, right, it's in a 2002. Race, right? Like you don't forget those things. I don't forget that. And I'm not a Flames fan and I'm not a Montreal Canadiens fan, right? Yeah. Um, Jose Theodore played say, for the Panthers, so I got to hear about that a lot, you know, and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, like that, that would bother me more than this year because so many guys are putting up career years and then you got a generational talent in McDavid. I believe mm-hmm. Matthews is like a generational talent, especially when you talk about goal scoring and the way that he's starting to play his game and he's starting to play a heavier game. He's starting to get the finer things, the little things in the game. I'm like, as much as, you know, people don't like Toronto or anything like that, like I have respect for that guy and how he plays the game. And yeah, he needs to have playoff success, but we've talked about a lot of guys tonight that need to have playoff success. Yeah. And a lot of guys in this, in this uh, heart nomination, they've been around for a while. They need to have playoff success, but this is a regular season award. So yeah, I look at things very critical. And I also, 
I, I do get a lot of Canadian media here and I, I kind of know where it's going. And I, I think the Canadian well, media, when they're talking about this, it is a true narrative. It's not a fake narrative. And I, I kind of see how it's playing out with McDavid, Matthews, and then pick your poison. If it's just Sturkin, Josie, Huberto, I just want Huberto to get respect and I don't want him to have like sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth place votes. Cause I don't think that's where, will. that's I, when I'm I look pretty at sure votes. that that won't happen. I mean, that's where I think dry will, might finish up you know like he last year i think he was eighth in in heart trophy votes and he was second in the league in points by by a pretty well, good I'm a, margin i'm a dry sidle guy like um you know especially if you're talking with yeah, him right he's your... what he does on the power play just his big body presence um when like i've always told you eric this like he needs to be a driver of his own line and i like you're like well he does well with mcdavid i'm like i want to see how he does on his own and he line, has right? become and that he too. has like, he yeah. has. And I just like everything, every time I challenge him to you, and it's not like, you know, I'm challenging him. I'm just like, I want to see this from him, Eric. I want to see that from him. And yeah. he does it. And it's just another thing on this season of how many people are having career years and just outstanding seasons. And guys are not going to get their just due on the season. That's sad. And, you know, Leon Dreisel can fall into that category. But that's just something to motivate you towards the playoffs. And some of these, a bunch of these guys, they are going to the playoffs. I think all of them are going to the playoffs. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, like uh, you, you want to notice me now? Now, then notice me now, like you know, in the playoffs, and that's that's something Drysaddle can look at. But he also understands. McKay he knows that he's himself. the market he's in, and I don't think he cares one bit. Like he, I mean, but that would motivate me as an individual. Like that's right. just how I'm wired, and it's not disrespect to those guys, but like, like I'm here, you know. I'm and look here. at the and look at the season he had two years ago. I mean, he he won the Art Ross Trophy by 13 points over McDavid, who finished second that oh, year. Impressive. And and I mean, McDavid did miss seven games with injury, but still, you know, give the credit to Dryside. Like he he did end up, you know, he had 113 points. No one else in the league even, or sorry, 110 points. No one else in the league even had 100 that year. So you know, he definitely deserves. Uh, all the credit for that. And and he did win a Hart Trophy. He did win a 10 Lindsay Award. And he did win an Art Ross Trophy. So he'll always have those things on his resume. And there aren't a lot of Europeans who have all those things. So he's like in a very exclusive group, especially if you want to even talk about from Germany. Now that's an even more exclusive group. Like he's the only one and, you know, already the best player that Germany's ever produced. But um, I do want to say like, you know, I as much as I want McDavid to win and as much as I think he should win, the Hart Trophy this year for his outstanding season because he generates more offense than anyone else. I have a feeling that Austin Matthews is going to get it for a couple reasons. He, like you said, he does play in Toronto. They are there are going to be writers who are going to be desperate to try and get a Leafs player that award, an award they've and never he finished won. Second last year, I believe. Yeah, um, and to to also get uh, to also get you know he, he's got he's already locked up the the rocket Richard unless Dreisaitl scores like six goals in the last two games here, which is, you know, pulled ahead of Kreider and everyone else that was kind of an Ovechkin. He dropped back. And and I'm not saying that Matthews hasn't had an incredible season. He has, I mean, as much as I don't like the Leafs, I'm not going to sit here and say that 60 goals isn't fantastic because it is. Um, the one thing that I think is, you know, McDavid still does generate more offense, but there, they are, there are going to people who are going to point to the goals, especially the even strength goals, and say that, you know, this is, this is what makes him more valuable. And uh, I, I, I don't necessarily agree that he's had a more, uh, a more valuable season than Connor, but I understand that there are going to people who are going to think that he is. So I'm kind of already preparing myself that he. 
and, that he won't and, get the and him breaking the Toronto Maple Leafs goal record, Eric, and like yeah, like so we talked about a lot Pluto of breaking breaking the left wing record. It doesn't get the pub in Florida like Austin Matthews breaking the Toronto Maple Leaf storied goal record, which Toronto has not had prolific goal scores like Montreal right. Canadiens, for example, have. So it just gets more generated buzz and that market, and it swells, and like other people notice it in other markets that are voting, yeah. right? So. I, I do I do agree with you when it comes to that, but to me it's a virtual coin toss kind of at this point. I'm not going to call it a two horse race, but like those are the guys that are one two likely, and yeah. and, and I and I can live with that as a, a, a fan, not a fan of the Oilers and Maple Leafs, and I can respect that. So, but yeah, I kind of yeah, I'm like I I just hope like you know Oiler fans know this. I hope Panther fans that are going to be listening to us know this. This is like me and Eric really being objective here, it like is. breaking it down. Like we we take in a lot of media, and and you take in a lot of like. Edmonton media, you get guys coming on um, Edmonton radio that you listen to that are like mm-hmm. Canadian media. I'm listening to Canadian media. I'm listening to North American stuff. Like we're on Twitter. We see everything that's tweeted out. So yeah. like we're trying to go as unbiased as we can here. We have our fandom. We have our hats on. But like, yeah, I, I think we're I think. Yeah, I didn't know how this was going to play out, but I think we are kind of agreeing on on quite a bit. Um, Pretty much when it comes to the heart rate, especially at this point of the season. So, so just to just to make sure we're on the same page, like, I mean, like we said, Shesterkin having an outstanding year in goal, Yossi having arguably the best season, at least the best offensive season by a defenseman in 30 years. Um, you know, Johnny Goudreau having a fantastic season in Calgary. Uh, you, you you just go down the list. There's so many guys. I mean, this year, when was the last time that there were this many 100-point scorers in a season? I think it was 2005-2006, the first year after the lockout, when there was a record number of power plays. And we've just seen that yeah, number decrease. Like novel, yeah. It's just decreased and decreased over the last 15 years. And I wish it would get back to that point where, you know, teams were getting five, six power play opportunities a night each. But, you know, it might... Uh, might never get quite to that height again. But I, I just before we wrap up, the last thing I want to ask you is: so, who are your finalists? Your who do you think the one, two, three will be when they when it's all said and done? Well, who do I think and who do I want it to be? Okay, who do well, I let's want do both. It to be? I let's think do both. I think it's, yeah, I'll do it quick. Like who I want it to be: McDavid, you know, McDavid, Matthews, interchangeable there, and then Huberto. But um. Who do I in think? In what order, though? In what order? Like, give, give me your one, I think two, Matthews, three. If you have to give me an order, like, it's so close. But Matthews, Matthews, um, McDavid, Huberto. Not, okay. like, who I want it to be. But, but like, who, you know, and, like, and what would your, what would your order be if it was your, if it was your choice? Yeah, if it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it was my choice, it would be Matthews, probably McDavid, Huberto. What do I think it will be? I think it will be Matthews one, but it could be McDavid. McDavid yeah. two. And I just still feel like I told you where I had Shesterkin two months ago. You think you want I to have Shesterkin in that third yeah, spot? Could be there. I don't know if like um, Josie and Shesterkin votes will cannibalize each other, but then I don't know if Goudreau and Huberto can elevate into that slot, right? So it's so close. Like Huberto's right on the precipice of being like three, four, and yeah. it's got to be someone else. But who is it going to be? I would lean Shesterkin over Josie and Goudreau, but I'm fine with it being Yossi or Goudreau as well. Like, that's how close, like, it's so close, one, two, and then two, three, and then, like, who is four, five, and six, and then you got Dreisel, like you mentioned, six, seven, eight. It's right. just so, like, difficult. Only Kadri and Ovechkin dropped off from kind of the first half of the year, Eric, and maybe Makar mm-hmm. ever so slightly because of what Yossi's doing. 
So no one really dropped out of the race. So yeah. it's just, it, it's so compelling. So that's, yeah, that's what I would say. And but, you know, that could change in 48 hours or Exactly. Like, we don't know. There's a couple but... games to go. And I think, like, both of our teams have two games left, right? The Oil, I already said who the Oilers play. And the, and the Panthers, yeah, I think, play the Sens of the Red Wings. Uh, sends and then I think we wrap up with Montreal. I'm not even paying that close okay. attention because we're already now, wrapped up in the spot. But yeah, two games be, in Eastern Canada. Because because Huberto is seven points behind McDavid, and he would have to beat him outright. They couldn't tie because if they tied, McDavid would win the Art Ross on the tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker's goals. So he would have he needs he Huberto would need eight more points at least, and Connor couldn't get another point yeah, this and season. I think our coach so we might sit him again. I was going to say that's what I was going to ask. Do you think yeah. that because because it's almost out of reach now with his four, with Connor's four point game in yeah. Pittsburgh, it, would you just shut him down for the last two games? I'm I'm pretty fine with like shutting him down. I don't know uh, any records that he has offhand that we have to break. I know Barkov would like to get to forty. I think he's at thirty nine right now. Yeah. So I'd like to see Barkov get there. But um, also their minutes will be limited. We're, they're not going to be pushed out there and playing See, that's, over like that's 20 what I minutes think the Oilers will do. Like last year, once Edmonton locked up a playoff spot, if you look how McDavid and Drysaddle's minutes were handled the last couple games of the year, they played like 15 or 16 minutes a night. I mean, they you still let them play so they can keep their legs. I, I don't necessarily want Connor sitting for almost a week. Uh, until the first game yeah. of the playoffs, like that's I think that's almost too long to go without it, playing a game. Yeah, but some if you power can, play time, limited. But minutes. just you know, the literally the Oilers cannot improve their spot in the standings. Second place is locked up. They know they're playing the Kings. So whether you win these last two games or you lose, it doesn't matter. Second place is secured. So at this point. I expect Jay Woodcroft to roll four lines. There's no reason to like, you know, be sending McDavid and Drysidle out uh, any more than they have to, especially because the last two games are back to back Thursday and Friday night. So, you know, you don't want to like overwork them two nights in a row. Uh, so I would expect that you're going to see uh, both of those guys just play, you know, a, a relatively low amount of minutes compared to what they're what they normally play, and you might even see the second power play unit, which doesn't get a lot of time. You might see it start to get a, almost half the half the opportunities, just because uh, you can kind of take the the foot off the pedal a little. Yeah, bit. all teams across the board. The, yeah. the only thing, and and I'll I'll tell you this, Kirby. I, for a while, it didn't look like Connor was going to quite get there. But now he's within striking distance of this, and I really want him to go for it. He is four points away from 700 in his career. And with two non-playoff teams ahead of him on the schedule, if he can pick up two points in each game, that gets you to 700 right there. And if he didn't do it, it would be done basically in the first or second game next season. But one of the biggest reasons why I want him to get this milestone this season is because that will make it 700 points in seven years and that's with time missed due to a pandemic time missed True. due to a major injury and like he missed half a season in his rookie year due to a broken collarbone he missed uh, uh seven games uh due to an injury in 2019-20 plus about uh oh 15 more because of the pan the pandemic so I think that that's just a nice number to say that, you know, he's averaging 100 points a season through his first seven years. And that's like Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky type uh, accomplishment. So I'm hoping he'll get there. So that's something to still play for. <clears throat> like you said, you, you didn't know off the top of your head if Barkov or 
Hubert will have any yeah. milestones well, that he can chase down. Yeah, like but just I'm pretty off sure getting to 40, but like I know we've called. Oh, up how close is he? Well, he's one off right now, I believe. So, oh, like, so you'd want I him to see him in the chance. lineup there. Yeah. And then if he gets it in the next game, then sits the last game. But you and I, we always talk about just to kind of be brief on this, we talk yeah. about rest versus rust. Mm-hmm. And I'm just worried with Barkov. He hasn't been injury prone, but he's caught different, like, high elbows from guys or hits where he's been day to day, week to week. So I'm really concerned about that. Huberto, he's been a horse since he's gone down. Um, uh, with his uh, leg injury a, a few years back. He's been a horse, but, you know, right. I don't want to get him dinged up either. And we do have a couple guys in Gudis, Lundell, that have been banged up in the last couple games here. Nothing dirty per se, but um, Giroux was cross-checked from behind uh, from Sergachev, and that turned into a bloody war. If, if you guys didn't catch that game the other night, Tampa Bay, Florida, oh my goodness, it was a throwback to the playoff series last year. So, like, we were getting in fist fights and busting open guys. So it's like, we got to start, like looking at the big picture here and not yeah. being looking at, you know, milestones and records and being seven points back. And I know you and I, we debate on that back and forth and everything like that, but I'm fine at this point of like, you know, obviously, you know, the heart, I mean, uh, our Ross is, you know, out of reach and, you know, other things are going to be locked up at this point when it comes to our team with position. And I, I will say though, this is the first year, sorry to cut you off, but this is the first year in a while where I felt like there was, any threat to Connor not getting it. Like obviously Kucherov in 2018-19 beat Connor by 12 points. And there, there were four games that uh, McDavid missed an injury that year and actually two to injury, two to a suspension on a, a high hit that uh, I still don't think was a, a suspendable play considering on uh, how many calls don't get, uh, don't get blown down on him. But um, mm-hmm. nonetheless, uh, you know, maybe he would have in those four games got it a little closer to where Kucherov was. Maybe he cut it to like a six point lead. I mean, the, you know what kind of season the Lightning were having in 2018 19. They were incredible, although they did get swept in the first round that year after yeah, having by their. Bobrovsky, by Bobrovsky in the jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, any team that beats them this year is going to have to get that goaltending as well. So, yeah, like you, you got to. But gotta, I, I just want to say, I give credit. Into it and bake other things into stuff because, like, you know, Barkov could be up there for the heart this year if he didn't miss, you know, the 12 or 15 games or whatever he missed because point per game, he, I think he's like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, right? So, um, yeah, that's something that people are sleeping on by watching this Panther. Barkov continually gets slept on. And like, I think he's a top three, top eight player in the league. But, you know, this season, the guys that are putting up like next year, you were going to see a couple new names in there, right? And I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. Barkov, I think, finished sixth last year when McDavid ran away with the heart. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised seeing new names in there. And, you know, Crosby and Ovechkin and some of so It's nice to see the league be able to turn over here, you know, into this next era. You know, we didn't even talk, mention Nathan McKinnon's name. So, yeah, there's going to be guys like, okay, it's playoff time. Like, you know, let's get going well, here. And uh, guys that have uh, missed time due to injuries and different reasons like that, right? So You know, this is very timely. So I just want to read these uh, stats out before I go. The NHLPA put out their annual poll today where – uh, the, the players are asked uh, a series of questions and every player in the league votes on it. Uh, so just a couple ones that, you know, our, our teams are involved in. If you need to win one game, who is the one player you would want on your team? Coming in at number one with 42.4% Connor McDavid. Coming in at number four with 3.5% Alexander Barkov. So like, you know, substantially lower than McDavid's number, but still the fact that he was recognized as... I mean, if you want to call this fourth best player in the league or fourth most important player in a needing to win one game situation, that's still a pretty impressive uh, uh, to see him make the top five. 
some people would say definitely there like me and like I would be a proponent of this guy if he did not play on my team yeah. I would look at Huberto differently if he wasn't on my team but for Barkov like if you're a real hockey head and a real hardcore hockey fan and like if you're only watching this guy once or twice a season because like you don't supposedly have access to his games which you do if you have cable or you know internet or different means or you know highlight packages but highlight packages do not do, do this guy justice right um right you know he's a 200 foot player but like you and i have even talked about this year the numbers that he puts up are ridiculous i never thought barkoff would reach this ceiling for what he has done for points per game and points and uh, definitely not what huberto well doing you know this it's season, the same but, for me with like what Barkoff's doing yeah, and it's the same for me with when Dreisaitl. Like, when, when they drafted him third overall in 2014, I thought, okay, this is going to be like a 75-point player, which is, you know, pushing towards elite numbers. But the fact that he's, like, blown past that now and, and he's, you know, a 100-point yeah. scorer year after year, I mean, he's, he's well exceeded expectations and easily would go first overall in that draft. I know that you're you're a big fan of Aaron Eckblad, but I think you would still agree yeah. Dreisaitl would go first overall in a redraft. Yeah, if you do like a redraft and you're doing it like five years in advance. And I'm not or, saying that Ekblad, I'd have to look at the other guys that were lower down in the first round, second round. Yeah, singles. I mean, David Pasternak would go higher. Yep. Braden Point would go higher. Like there's yep. some of these guys. And, Point's and I'm very high on. I hate, you know, I hate the lightning, but I give all <laughs> respect to Point, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. So, um, yeah, I would have Point definitely, you know, high up on my list um, in a redraft. So. Yep. And here's a here's another couple. Uh, who is the best stick handler in the league? Patrick Kane topped the list, coming in at number two with 22.8%. Connor McDavid coming in once again at number four at 2.4%. Alexander Barkov, so recognized as the fourth best puck skills in the league. Yeah, I think he gets that a lot from his shootouts, um, from some of the things that do go viral. I'm not saying he goes viral like Patty Kane. I knew Patrick Kane was going to be number one when you asked me that earlier off air today. I, yep. He was the name I had in my head. But um, uh, Huberto has puck skills. And like um, Barkov has things in shootouts and different things that he can maneuver. And he does it in the games as well. Like, yeah, he gets the crowd oohing and on. But I cannot tell you how many times Huberto has oohed and odd the crowd this year. Probably like 40, 50, 60 times. He's yeah. got a great to like toe drag. And he'll come through and he'll like, he used to be a perimeter player when he came in the league, especially his second, third season. He kind of got lost. He's a late bloomer. If you guys go back and look at his numbers. And when, when, when Yager became teammates with Barkoff and, uh, kind of turned Huberto, a corner for him, it, it just turned a corner for him with his off ice workouts. He became more of a beast. I think he's one of the strongest players pound for pound. I would also put Sam Bennett in there, but like how Huberto works out. He's just a beast, and like um, I all credit to Yager because uh, our our fitness level, they have to be off the charts with guys like Ekblad, yeah. Huberto, Barkov, Bennett. Like there's just guys on this team that just you know are elevating themselves to new levels, and I give a lot of credit to that with Yager when it comes to um Barkov and Huberto especially. So, oh definitely, I mean you, having a guy like Yager around to learn from is invaluable. Uh that uh, you could have that kind of mentorship from a legend of the game. And he's still playing at age 50, incredibly. Uh, two more questions I want to read from the poll here. Who is the best passer in the NHL? Coming in at number one, Leon Dreisaitl at 17.7%. On the backhand especially, I think he's the best passer in the league. Uh, Connor does create a lot of plays, and you know he annually is either the leader in assists, although Huberto is going to lead the league in assists this year. But McDavid, uh, you know, always near the top or at the top. Uh, he creates a lot of his plays off the rush, though. He can also, you know, feed tape-to-tape -tape passes through a maze of sticks in the offensive zone. But uh, yeah. I, I think that Dreisaitl is viewed as 
maybe a slightly better passer, especially because of, like I mentioned, those backhand skills. And, you know, that coming one shocked in, me not to see McDavid or Huberto. He was number Dreisaitl. four. Like, I watch the team 10, 20 times a year, but like I know where like Drysaddle's posts up on the power play, you know, yeah. how he uses his body, different things like that. But like that one surprised me the most. Yeah, he he was third on this list last year, and he leapfrogged into number one. And then, of course, in, coming in at number four, Connor McDavid at ten point six percent. I mean, that's a pretty no brainer. Uh, I'd like uh, Huberto to be on that list. That's my biggest contention. Of, okay, like, well, not being recognized for that. You're gonna you're gonna hear his name one more time here. Who is the NHL's most complete player? Uh, Sidney Crosby still getting recognized as the top guy at 29.5%. Coming in at number two at 20.5%, Alexander Barkov. And coming in surprisingly a little bit to me at fourth, Connor McDavid at 9.2%. Now, McDavid has certainly improved his defensive game this year. I, I think this is the best two-way season that he's had in the NHL. You You can see the way that he is out-muscling guys for pucks and using his strength. I think a lot of people... More in the second half, Eric, than the first half yeah, of the season or throughout the year? He's he's checking guys off the puck, separating them, and just skating it out of the zone. And these are things that you didn't see as often early in his career where he would actually take it upon himself to physically impose himself, use his speed to get in there and knock the opponent off the puck and take it away from them as opposed to just trying to make a move to strip it from him. He still can do that all the time, get a quick stick in there, steal it, and go the other way. But using his body more to uh, separate a man from the puck, have you that's seen that all season? That. Like, Have you seen it all no, season? I, I, I don't know if I'd say or from more game so one. I, I can't say from game one, but it, it's especially been noticeable the last few months. Okay. And I mean, I'm seeing it night after night where he's physically engaging more often and uh, you know, not shying away from going to the corners and and trying to be a little bit more of a physical presence. You know, he's never gonna you know be a huge hitter out there or, or play that kind of physical, overly physical brand of of hockey. You know, I, and I wouldn't want him to to at, at the risk of getting hurt. But it is good to see that he's a little more engaged in the defensive zone and is uh, you know improved that aspect of his game because the, the other parts of his game are so phenomenal. This You could argue that face-offs and his defensive zone play were maybe the only two areas that he wasn't elite in. And that takes guys a, a few years for sure and sometimes guys even a little longer. So, so obviously pretty nice to see uh, two of our guys, I guess three if you include Dry Saddle 2, uh, to be uh, a highly thought of on all these uh these lists and there, and there were more questions but those are just the ones i wanted to highlight because there were specifically oilers I, and panthers players i think huberto is, is one of the best passers in the league and like definitely at the wing so like i still think like when you look at those polls he that's something that stands out to me as a panther fan how on how underrated he is still around the league and maybe next year that he'll he'll be higher like you know yep. uh carrie price was voted as the one goalie you would want if you needed to win a game um, mm, I, I, <laughs> I would say <laughs> like in, we're talking current, you day. know, in 20, in 2015, for sure it would be Carey Price, but oh, okay, yeah. like, but you know, the fact that he still has that reputation around the league as the one goalie. And I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Kirby, in fairness, he did lead the Canadians to the Stanley cup final last year. And that Canadian squad wasn't the most star studded yeah. group. 
So I think that that's but I'm saying if, some weight I'm as saying well. if Tampa Bay or Florida played them, I don't think it plays out the same way with Toronto. And I, I stand to my convictions. Right. On that. Even if Carolina... And they did them. lose to Tampa. I mean, they did lose to Vasilevsky and Tampa in the final. Yeah, in the final. But I'm saying that first round, I don't know if Carey Price gets out of that first round if he has to play Carolina, Tampa Bay, Florida, if it's the normal division. I... I I'm I'm a strong contention on that to this day, and anyone proving me otherwise. But Weber turned back the clock. Price played unbelievable, especially you know to get through that series with Toronto. Right. So all the credit to him, and I've seen him for a long time in our division. But um, yeah, I do I do think again playing in the market you're in and different things like that. And Crosby's kind of bulletproof to that. Um, being in Pittsburgh, you know, but he you know transitioning from Mario that we talked about earlier into Crosby, I think you know he was fortituted that a uh, little bit, and then you know. Having that success, winning in the playoffs, winning Stanley yeah. Cups, that helps. And that gets you these awards, you know, many years down the road if you're a winner, right? Like Crosby mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I mean, he's in year 17 now. Right. Um, it's hard to believe that Ovechkin and Crosby are wrapping up their 17th season because wow. they were, you know, they were in grade. I was in grade 11 when they broke into the league. And, you know, like these were these two new hot young superstars that were you know, coming in right after the lockout. And it was like the perfect time for the NHL to have, you know, these these new guys that they could build around for a decade or longer because they had, you know, had, I guess you could say, such a, a hard time reestablishing a fan base in certain markets after going without hockey for a year. Like, it was never going to be an issue in places like Montreal or Toronto or Edmonton. But, like, how do you make Columbus care again? How do you, you know, you make some of these cities that weren't, you know, long-standing hockey cities kind of get reinvigorated for the NHL? And I think bringing in these guys, especially to teams that were on on the rebuild, like Washington and Pittsburgh, and, of course, they ended up building both those teams up to being Stanley Cup champions. So... Yep. It was the perfect time to come in. And 17 years later, they're both still very effective, like arguably both still top 10 players in the league. Yeah, and people that aren't paying attention to the Eastern Conference, like, well, Ovechkin and Crosby, but they're going to be on, like, you know, two of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference, but there's no weak teams this year. So I, I think yeah. some people are going to be like, well, automatically Ovechkin and Crosby, I'm going to, you know, select them. And I'm not saying they're not going to come out of that series, but, you know, it's just, it, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, with my team, you know, facing off against one of those, you know, generational players and you know seeing how it plays out so i'm looking forward to that spotlight for my uh for my organization because we've played uh, new jersey in the past and the islanders in the past you know it hasn't got us a lot of spotlight and you know people even don't even remember that we were in those playoffs right but when you play ovechkin or crosby people remember that absolutely well kirby uh, i i appreciate you sticking with me for over two hours tonight it's been an awesome conversation you and i talk hockey all the time but this is the first time that we've actually recorded it. And, you know, like I said, kind of a throwback to uh, our our old days uh, doing the Cougars Den at Mount Royal. So it, it's been awesome doing this, and you, you'll definitely be a guest on the show again. Uh, just before we call it a night, though, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, thank you for um, giving me this opportunity, this platform here, Eric. So I really appreciate it. Uh, people can find me on Twitter, KJ underscore loops. It's spelled L-U-P-S. 
but it's pronounced loops. So KJ underscore loops. And uh, we have Twitter spaces going on uh, after most Panther games. So if anyone wants to drop me a follow, uh, we don't just talk about Panthers. We talk about hockey. We have um, fans from opposing teams come in after Panther games. So if uh, Oilers fans out there, other fans listening to this podcast are watching the Florida series or even the Tampa Bay Toronto series, we're going to be having a close eye on that. Uh, By all means, come into our spaces after the game on Twitter. You'll see it at the top of your page. Just click on it. You can come in as a listener. If you want to have a microphone, we can put you on as a speaker. And yeah, we take questions from all NHL fans. Like I said, we're getting a lot of NHL fans supporting us like never before. So they're like, Florida's my second favorite team right now, or you guys are going to be my team in the playoffs. So um, we welcome all that. And if, you know, if there's fans of yours out there, Eric, that, you know, want to know a little bit more about the Eastern Conference or are going to be following it. Yeah, by all means, drop by. So yeah, give me a follow. Uh, my DMs are always open. Uh, drop me a line, whatever. So. Awesome. Thanks again, Kirby. Thanks, Eric. All right. So for Kirby Lupo, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever podcast. We're out.